I'm Janet Decay. And I'm Grim Gory. And together we host The, the Mummy and, and the, the Monkey, Monkey Show. And you're listening to Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. <laughs> <laughs> gentlemen boys and girls monster kids of all ages welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear it's monster kid radio and i'm your writer host producer derek m cook welcoming you to the 427th episode of the podcast where we're going to talk a little bit more about monster bash you know i know that we are a few weeks out uh, from having Monster Bash 2019 happen. And I know that I'm running a lot of Monster Bash content, but the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, that I recorded a lot of content at Monster Bash, and I don't want to let Monster Bash go. I don't want to move on. I want to keep Monster Bash going. So, oh, I've been listening to a lot of the audio that I captured at Monster Bash, and I'm going to share it with you guys and gals. At the end of the show, we'll talk a little bit about whether or not we want to keep doing more Monster Bash or you know, move on to other things here on Monster Kid Radio, maybe get back to talking about movies. But anyway, that's what we're going to talk about at the end of the show. Before we get to that point, we've got so much to talk about Monster Bash-wise. We've got the conversations that are recorded with comic book author and gooey films enthusiast Mark Holmes, as well as Monster Kid writer, Forey Award winner, Frank J. Delostrito. And I have not one not two, not three, not even four. We have five horror hosts on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. We're going to begin our Monster Bash coverage with the conversation that I had with my man, Larry Underwood, Dr. Gang Green. He and I finally met in the same place at the same time we were there, and it was awesome to hang out with one of my dearest friends and just talk about monsters and hang out and kind of do the Monster Bash thing. That's what we're going to use to kick off. The Monster Bash discussions. What we're going to use to end, though, it's a big conversation that I had with four different horror hosts all at once. What that meant was, is I set up every microphone that I had, and then some, because we had to pull out some of Scott Morris's microphones, too, and we recorded with the horror hosts, The Mummy and the Monkey, and Countess Carita, and recent Hall of Fame inductee, Drac. So you have that to look forward to as well. Now, of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Monster Kid Radio without some of our regular segments. Professor Frenzy's got a new bedtime story for us, and we're going to hear from Dr. Tongue as we visit the world of monster collectibles. That's all going to happen. And then, you know, at the very end of the show, you're going to hear a little bit of the Q&A that was done at Monster Bash with Rico Browning. And that's a lot to get to. So uh, enough with the jibber-jabber, Derek. Let's get on to it right after this. The House of Wax, the ultimate dimension in terror, comes to the screen in Stereovision 3D. Vincent Price, at his diabolical best, will take you room by terrible room on a journey to the ultimate chamber of horrors. Stereovision 3D will synthesize before your eyes the terrifying reality of it all. In Stereovision 3D, House of Wax is more than a movie. It's an experience you'll never forget. Hi, this is Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. 
Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast? I'll never smile again. Wow, that's a little mean. How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Horrors Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous. I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the, uh, best fans? Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horror Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. Incredible two-headed transplant. Evil lurks in the head of man, twisting tortured brains to satisfy fiendish desires. Remember Frankenstein, Wolfman, and King Kong. In each case, a woman of incredible beauty soothed their raging passions. Now, a monster more terrifying in appearance, more diabolical in its deeds, with two brains and two heads grafted on the body of a giant to create the incredible two headed transplant a monster with two insane passions one to kill one to love twice as terrifying as any monster of fact or fiction you must see the incredible two-headed transplant it lives it loves it kills attracted by beauty it could not resist the incredible two-headed transplant the incredible two-headed transplant in color rated gp the incredible two-headed transplant all right, so this podcast is going out uh, next week. But if you remember, listeners, back to, say, like last Friday, you might have heard something like that, like a, a parting of the sky, some thunderclaps, uh, the wind picked up, and that's because I finally got to meet in person, live, I, I guess, if Dr. Gangreen is really alive. Uh, I got to meet Larry Underwood, man. How you doing? And I finally got to meet the great Derek Cook. So, yeah, it's all good, man. This hey, these Monster Kid cards, man, they look great in person. Look yeah, at that. Those are the classic fives, man. Dude. And we'll those bust turned them out, out great. Yeah, I'll, we'll bust them out. We'll play. You know what? You brought it up. Let's do it right now. They look, no, Ready? but they look really good. I mean, I love the graphics on them and everything. That's cool. Yeah. It's, good deal, brother. No, I love these, man. You, ain't having, you having fun this weekend? I'm having a blast. I am having so much fun. So it's been 15 years since I've been here. So it's it's been about time I got back. Yeah. So what's changed since the last time you? Were well, the hotel venue for for one. You were in Butler before, right? Right. Right. So yeah, this is cool. Mars is, I mean, appropriate name, right? True. Yeah. We're gonna go see the spaceship tomorrow before we leave. Nice. Yeah. I've never done that. So one of these days. You need to get over and do it. I know. It's right I down know. the road, man. I know. I was I gonna did. go today while we we went out to grab lunch, but they said there's some uh, beer festival going on, which sounds cool too. But I didn't want to get in the traffic, so <laughs> we'll go tomorrow. Right on. Right on. Well, that's cool, man. I'm so glad you made. It. I was so excited when you told me you were gonna come. Like, yeah. yeah. Finally. I know, right? Yeah. No, you know. What, oh. I'm tongue-tied. I don't know what to say, man. I said, consider you one of my closest friends. It's just so awesome to see you, man. Awesome. We'll get to hang out a little bit. A little bit. It's so busy, you know. That's the thing it about the show. Is. It you always know? is. But, you know, of all the conventions that I've gone to, this one's a little bit more relaxed. So there's still time. Right. So this has right. been fun. This looking forward cool. to Joshua's movie. I know you've seen it many times. But I'm looking forward to seeing it for the first time. I did get a DVD from him earlier. Okay, good, good, good. So Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for him. I'm so excited for him. 
uh, just he's a good guy, and uh, the movie's great. Veronica Carlson is probably one of her best roles ever. I'll say that right now. Wow, yeah. that's that's pretty strong, I'll say man. That right now, yeah, she, she has a lot to do. She's had a lot of range. She's great, but of course, the others are great too. Uh, Caroline and Martine together. Oh man, yeah, yeah, that's that, that's, that's a party I want to go to. <laughs> yeah, man. So other than that, what else are you looking forward to? Anything else or? Uh, and the creature at night. Yeah, I'm yeah, they're showing uh, what is the creature walks among us? Is that the one? Oh, revenge! So John Agar action, right? Yes, that's right. O- outside John Agar, it's gonna be good. And I'm told it's a film print. It's it. I'm told somebody oh. said 35, but I don't know if that's. Film. Yeah, but somebody also told you I left the show, so uh, well, that's yeah, true. I, I, I question your sources, Derek. Oh man, that's right. See, I just need to listen to the doctor. <laughs> I don't know about that. That guy's <laughs> insane. What is going on with Dr. Gangrene? So this is my 20th anniversary this year, dude. Yeah. So, yeah. So we got a lot of news to be breaking over the next. It uh, depends on when you put this out, whether I've already spilled the beans or not, but I'll spill it here. Okay. Um, 20th anniversary. We got a Dr. Gangrene feature film that's coming out this fall. So be releasing more details on that. We got the Horror Hootenanny, the 16th annual Horror Hootenanny happening in Nashville. And that will be happening on October the 12th, which is a Saturday. Mm-hmm changing venue on that too this year so that will be interesting where will it be it's at a brewery in nashville called little harpeth supposed to be a really good uh space a lot of space good venue one big open room uh we've had at this little place called the end for the past few years which is a great spot too but it's right in downtown nashville and there's no parking but little harpeth is supposed to have tons of great easy to get in and out which will make people coming much happier should be a good show and in October, I'll be back on the air also. So, so you, you told me a little bit about this kind of in confidence. I didn't want to say anything. I wanted to yeah. yeah. My program director said, dude, it's your 20th. We got to do something. So he's like, you know, let's get back on the air. So we're doing it for October just sort of as a test. This is our test run, at least four, maybe five episodes. And then we'll see beyond that. Um, probably not right away. I mean, he said whatever I want to do. But it's just sort of a whole different ball game this time around than it was before. How has horror hosting changed since you started? Well, when I started on public access, then that was a half hour show. But once I got to actually broadcast TV and was doing a full movie, they were, were providing the films for me. At that point, it was pre-captioning days. I didn't have to worry about closed captioning. They provided the movies. They would give me a list and let me pick. So, you know, I showed stuff like uh, House That Drip Blood and uh, The Wraith and Dreamscape and some stinkers like Aerobicide and Future Force <laughs> and Future Zone, which those were actually probably more fun. That, that was kind of my favorite episodes anyway. But we had a good time showing that stuff. And now that's they, they've dropped all their film packages, so none of that's available. So now, it, you know, I've got to find my own content as well as closed caption everything. So yeah. it's like, yeah, do I really want to do this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, it sounds like you. I mean, you're doing no, the show. No, so. I'm excited. I'm I'm really looking forward to being back on the air. It's it's fun, man. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. I'm not yeah. in an area where I'm going to be able to see it, so I'm going to have to just hear about it on. Facebook. Oh well, I may stream it. Also, I'm, I'm kind of nice. looking into that day after or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's all up in the air at this point, but we'll see. We'll figure that out yeah. as we go along. It kind of depends on what kind of deals you can strike with the filmmakers, too. You know, the exactly. The films, exactly. So it's sort of a, a mix of content from different places. A little bit of public domain, but more, uh, but also some, some indie stuff. And we looked into licensing some films, too, so I'm not exactly sure. You told me about one of the, I'm not going to mention it, but you told me about one of the titles. And if you're able to show it, that's amazing. And that's going to happen. So, yes. Yeah? We'll announce the titles later. We'll get awesome. Closer to awesome. Day. And I imagine it'll be on your website when you announce it. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. for sure. DrGangreen.com. DrGangreen.com. That's it, brother. We'll make sure there's a link to that as well. 
Yeah. A couple years ago, you were writing some books, releasing some fiction, doing anything in that realm right now? Not right at the moment. Kind of, you know, some stuff percolating and you know how it does, but... um, Still doing the Scary Monsters articles, of course, and interviews, so that's fun. And winning awards for it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And won the Rondo Award again. I did. Man. Thank you. I don't want to be braggy. No, no. You, well, you don't have to be, because I'm going to do it. I think it's amazing. <laughs> I, I think it's an incredible honor, and I'm super proud of you, my friend. That's, Thank you. That Thank is you, so sir. cool. I've only got the one, so i got a lot of catching up to do. And well-deserved. I'm very happy for you for that. That was awesome. And some of the stories in your anthology, though, were being adapted for the film. Is that right? Yeah. And the feature film that was coming out, we're calling it Tales from Parts Unknown, which was the name of my book. And... Two of the stories are from that collection. One is a story I wrote afterwards, and the fourth one is one that Cameron did. Okay. So it's an anthology piece, which is one of your favorite exactly. types of films. Exactly. Just four stories, then? Four stories. Okay. I know five. I really wanted to do a fifth, but Cameron's like, this, i got to wrap this up. This is killing me. So, <laughs> so we piece this together over time. We shot the short films a little at that. Like we did one, and then worked on the second one and shot it and and so it's slowly been going on for a couple years and Cameron's so ready to get this wrapped up Cameron McCaslin my partner on the show and get moved on to other so for the first three he has submitted them to film festivals and they've all won awards oh okay all of them done really well at festivals is it one of the ones that I've seen Taylor Poe have you seen that one yes won a rondo for that one okay Uh, Prisoner of Perdition Western Weird Western I don't think I ever got a chance to see that one okay I need to see that movie yeah and uh, Retrieval Service, which is in from the book. Right. And then, uh, actually, that's the only one from the book. I take that back. The Western and the final piece, which is uh, Undead Motorcycle Rider, are both new, new ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the wraparounds are Dr. Gangrene. That's how you bring it in the dock. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very yep. cool, Got man. Some, that's exciting. Should have that's some new so artwork cool. soon for it and be announcing more details and everything. So. Do you know how you plan on releasing it yet, or...? Don't know yet. Okay. And I'm working on that, too. But you got to keep me posted, man. It'll be DVD. We'll have DVDs for sure. But, yeah, as yeah. well, I do know what we're going to do this fall before the release is we're taking it on a little tour of drive-ins in our area. So I already have drive-in theaters Are lined up. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're taking it on drive-ins and theaters and doing a little circuit of screenings. That is so cool. Yeah. I'm pretty pumped about that. Now more than ever, I wish I lived closer because that would be so fun to see and tag along with. Wow. No, you're a busy man. You got a lot coming up. I like to stay busy. Right on. Happiest when I'm busy. Well, you know, we're creatives. That's what we do. That's right. right? We got to. Exactly. Well, you were talking about the cards earlier. We got to play around yes. with the classic five. Sir. Yes. All Just right. don't. I don't want those kaiju cards. They are not in here. All, All right. right. Yeah, I don't have a. a I, mean, I, I mean, you know, nothing against the big green guy. I saw Godzilla at the drive-in, the new yeah. one. Yeah. What did you think? Kind of mixed feelings about it. Kind of a mixed bag, but I liked it overall. Yeah. Me overall, too. thumbs up. And there are a couple of cornball things in it but but overall yeah uh brenda my wife was thinking about seeing it with me until she saw the trailer where the one guy says oh my god and somebody else says zilla and she's like that's too cheesy i'm not seeing it i'm done <laughs> i'm out <laughs> I right it okay i like it okay i love the music yeah um, i wish that they would stop teasing just give us that godzilla theme and show the fights for longer stop cutting away from it i mean my favorite, what, I don't know what your favorite one is. Of course, the first one's probably the best, but right. my favorite, Godzilla vs. Megalon, dude. I saw that in the theater. That movie With rules. Jet-Jet-Wire. Hell yeah. Oh. That movie is the best. And it's just like a big tag team wrestling match. And I that's love that. why it is amazing. I love that. King Kong vs. Godzilla, I think, is my favorite. 
Because you see those two going at it. Exactly. I mean, it's iconic. And it doesn't like, as great. soon as the good stuff starts happening, cut away. And yeah. you see boring people talking. Oh, forget that. Let's yeah. see the fight. That's what we're all here for. Yeah. And give us the dun, 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 dun. give us that music. We yeah. want it. Yeah. They yeah. teased it. It started a little bit yeah. in there. You know, I loved the score, but I think it's telling that my favorite parts of the score were when they included the original theme exactly. from Mothra or Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah. Right uh, although I did kind of like the new Rodan theme. I did like that a little bit. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I mean, I liked it, but yeah. there's no patch on the original. No right. way. I mean, the original films are the best. Right. Megalon, mm, I've never talked about that one on the show before. Oh, yeah? yeah may, maybe we need to do it. It could be. Yeah, could it could be fun. We'll never pass up an opportunity to talk about Jet Jaguar. <laughs> ever. Jet Jaguar, yeah. Love Jet Jaguar. All right, here we go. I saw it in the go. theater, man. I saw it in the theater. <sighs> That's one of the few monster movies my parents took me to see. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very cool. All right, so the Classic Five, you know how it works. First card, what classic monster movie needs a comic book adaptation? All of them. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some of them have had it. Dominique laughed at that. (laughs) Um, Classic monster movie needs a comic book adaptation? Godzilla vs. Megalon. Sure, exactly. There you go. Godzilla vs. Megalon. I've seen Jet Jaguar in some of the newer Godzilla comics. They have used that character. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. All right, so all of them. Got it. All of them. Karloff or Lugosi? Oh, Karloff. Easy. Yeah? Yeah, man. Hands down, no I'm a, question. I'm a, I'm a Karloff guy. I mean, acting skill-wise, he's all, got it all over Lugosi. I love Lugosi, but, I mean, Karloff, I mean, he had some chops, dude. What's your favorite Karloff film? That's not a question. That, something like that. Yeah, that's a hard general. one. Um, probably The Body Snatcher. Wow. Above yeah. the Frankenstein films, huh? Yeah, I love that first Frankenstein movie. It's hard to beat. It's so much better than Bride. I'm just going to go there. I'm going to say it. Uh, I was going to say, you just you just went there. And I, and I know this about you. We've talked about this before. <laughs> we have. Um, it's so good. I, I, I'm not even... Anyway, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, but I, I love The Body Snatcher. It's, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. But it just kind of depends on my mood. I mean, all of them. It, it's hard to go wrong with Karloff. It really is. Yeah, I, yeah it I is. I don't think I've seen a movie. I mean, Lugosi's great, too. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I mean, I it's just like, you know, there's no wrong choice. And the ones where they're in together is even better. Like The Body Snatcher. Exactly. <laughs> Although he's only in it for like a few minutes. Right, though, but, and he know. is sort of mean to him. Yeah, well, you know. All right, what Boris Karloff role could have or should have been played by Lugosi? Interesting that those two questions would come up right. back to back. Uh, let's see. Well, I've always liked Lugosi as, as Frankenstein. I mean, although that can't be the answer, though, because Karloff's too good as the monster. But I, di- I really did think uh, Lugosi did a great job when he got around to it. So what Karloff role should have been played by Lugosi? Yeah, man, that's that's toughing. I don't know. That's a tough question. I do love Lugosi and Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, though. Yeah? Yeah, that I mean, that movie is so good. I got to see that as a kid. It's so great. I remember this really vividly seeing it on film as a kid uh, in this little... There's this little. Have I told you a story about the pizza joint? I don't know. So there was this little pizza place my parents took me to. It was called well, the pizza. It was a sir pizza, but below it, the owner had this thing called the Trolls Cave. You went down these stairs down into a basement, and there had he had like a three foot troll behind bars lit with green light. You walked past him, and it was a this bar down there, and he had castle reels of, uh, and he showed us, you That's know, awesome. Frankenstein meets a wolf man. Just blew my mind. I love that movie. You know that I've watched a ton of zombie movies, even though I've watched hundreds of those. I think Frankenstein meets the Wolfman has the best resurrection from the dead scene I've ever seen when Larry Talbot comes Sure. That sequence in the mausoleum and the moon and the the grave robbers. Man, chilling just thinking about it. So good. All right, next question. If you had to colorize one universal monster movie, which one would it be? 
None. Uh, None. I wouldn't colorize any Another of them. One? Nah, I don't know though. I, okay, so let's say uh, let's just uh, let's go with Frankenstein. We've kind sure. of sort of we saw there's some clips of Son of Frankenstein in color floating around, aren't there? Yeah. So we've seen kind of what the makeup looks like. Right. Uh, that could look good with the sparks and electricity all oh, in color and everything. Think about that. The yeah. recreation sequence would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be cool. Okay. Yeah. Well that, well, that was five cards, five questions, man. Right on. They're, they're tough, man. So we were kind of hovering all around uh, Karloff, Lugosi, and Frankenstein there, all the answers. Yeah, so. well, it was meant to be, man. It was. You know. Can't go wrong. Larry, you are the man. All right, man. Thank you for all your support over the years and your friendship. You're the best, man. You're the best. Thanks for doing this. We need to do a collaboration of some sort. I don't know what, okay. but we should do something. We should. We should. It should probably revolve around the Monster Club. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that movie. The more you bring it up, the more I love it. But that song gets stuck in my head. So I love it, too. And guess what we're showing at Wonderfest next year? Really? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've already I've already uh, primed those wheels and and talked to Dave uh, Conover about it. He said I'm 100 percent on board, man. Let's do it. Yes. We still need to get like a poster of that monster family tree thing. We gotta get that. Oh uh, yeah, you know they they sell it. Oh, do they? Sell yeah, it? there's somebody online selling them. Oh, He's, he he sent me a link to it. I was like, oh, well, we gotta get that okay. obviously, and and right have that on. there. And and I knew we we're gonna have a bunch of people during the the end of it uh-huh. when they do the final song. Have a bunch of people come out and mass and dance. Have really? a big dance. Oh, that's so cool. That yeah, is so cool. Be. And we'll make up some funky, you know goofy monster games to play during the movie and give away some stuff that is so cool yeah. man see that's you're the man that's awesome I, I'll probably love that movie way more than it deserves but it's it's. we all have movies like easily the price movie I watch most often we all have movies like that yeah in our, in our, I mean, and it's streaming on Amazon right now Dracula so. versus Frankenstein is mine uh, that I love more than I really should. which one the Adamson uh huh yeah yeah Lon Chaney's last film yeah mm-hmm. a heck of a swan song to go out on there you go Ackerman in a part and paper mache Frankenstein monster. Right. Yeah, J. Carroll Nash. Love it. Probably shouldn't. I like it better than the Michael Rennie one. Now, the Michael Rennie one, is that, that's a Nashy kind of film, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I don't think I've seen that one. It's okay. I mean, it's, it's all right, but I like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you know. All right. Thanks again. Appreciate all right, man. It. I'm going to try to find a way to get the Monster Club song out of my head now. Thank you. <laughs> and of course, you got to play it right there. <sighs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I will take you to a place where my friends foregather. There you will find stories of such blood-curdling terror. It will make your toes curl and your hair reach up towards the sky. He likes to take you by surprise. He likes to leave a very special calling card. It was the best blood I have ever tasted. He's giving you a very special invitation. Three stories to shock you, chill you, thrill you, and make you laugh. Everybody knows about garlic and steaks through the heart. Yes, we all have our cross to bear. I'm just a sucker, boy, you're up. I'm just a sucker, boy, you're up. I'm just a sucker, boy. You are one of his kind now. You have to be staked by your own men. 
Songs by B.A. Robertson. Don't you look down on me. Night. With the strange twist. The pretty things. Monsters. The viewers. Tell me I'm not going to let you go until you do. We must have our food. But remember, he likes to take you by surprise. You've been invited to the Monster Club. Come at your peril. Welcome to the Monster Club. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Terror waits for you in every room in the house that dripped blood. A madman lurking on the staircase. A severed head in the closet. Coffins in the cellar. Vampires, vixens, and victims. You'll find them all in The House That Dripped Blood. Only the mind of the man who gave you Psycho could give you The House That Dripped Blood in color from the Cinerama Releasing Corporation. Rated GP. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Welcome to Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories, created especially for Monster Kid Radio. My name is Jerry Green. In this segment, I'm going to tell you a story from EC Horror Comics. Today's story is The Killer in the Coffin. It is from The Haunt of Fear, number 16, the July-August issue from 1950. It was written by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, and the art was by Ghastly Graham Ingalls. So sit back, relax, while I tell this deadly tale. Ernest Parker is married to a woman, Nan, who controls everything he does. She monitors his diet, tells him how to dress for the weather, tells him to avoid riding the streetcar so he won't get sick. She won't even kiss him because it could spread germs. Ernest feels henpecked and it is driving him crazy. One day at work, Ernest notices Foxy's secretary, Faye. They have lunch together and he impulsively kisses her. They begin a torrid affair. Ernest gets a letter saying that a long-lost uncle has left him a good deal of money, 
They could use the cash to run away together. But what about your wife, Faye asks. I'll think of something, Ernest says. A plague has been ravaging the city. This gives Ernest an idea. What could go wrong? Let's find out. Ernest pretends to get sick. He must have the plague, his wife Nan believes. He gets sicker and sicker, and Nan realizes she doesn't know any of the financial information she will need if he dies. Ernest has Faye from the office stop by so he can dictate all the necessary information. Ernest sneaks a note into Faye's bag, telling her to play along. He's faking his illness using drugs. He also gives her some curious instructions. After a little time, Ernest dies. Since there are so many dead in town, he has to be kept in a coffin in his living room. That night, he slips out of the coffin, surprises his grieving wife, and strangles her to death, and returns to the coffin. The police find her dead, and can't figure out who could have killed her. Must have been a burglar. Way to go, Sherlock. Ernest's coffin is closed, and he's put into the grave waiting to be buried. Faye starts to leave her house to go to the cemetery to free Ernest from the coffin, but she is suddenly struck down by illness. The doctor comes and says she has the plague. He can cure her, but he has to give her a shot that will make her unconscious for 20 hours. No, no, she says. I have to let Ernest out of his coffin. Hold her down. She's hysterical, the doctor says as he administers the drug. Meanwhile, back in the coffin, Ernest patiently waits for Faye. Surely she will come soon. The air becomes foul and dank. Surely she will come soon. He hears dirt hitting the top of the coffin. She didn't come. No, no, I'm being buried alive. Help! The end. I hope you enjoyed that murderous story. Oh yeah, the EC morality police strike again. We can put this one in the bad ideas go predictably wrong category. Why didn't Ernest give his wife the drug and have her die of the plague? Who cares? I don't have any sympathy for him. If this idiotic plan of his is representative of how he does things, he should be more appreciative of his wife's help. With a little dialogue, I'm sure they could have worked something out. Darwin has his hands full with this guy. Graham Ingalls' art is different than many of the other EC artists. You could call his lines scratchy with a lot of shading to express physical details. His perspectives seem exaggerated and just short of impossible. If you break it down piece by piece, it shouldn't work. But altogether, it is creepy. You could describe it almost as grisly. The images of Ernest post-death are gruesome. The style definitely works for horror. If you're interested in a copy of The Haunt of Fear, Volume 1, the book can be purchased on Amazon, and you could find a link to buy it on the MKR website. I hope you enjoyed the story. My name is Jerry Green, and you can find me on my podcast, The Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about new indie comics, and Bat Books for Beginners, where we talk about historical Batman and Bat Family comics. You can also catch me on Twitter, at Professor Frenzy, and search for Professor Frenzy on YouTube, where you can find The Professor Frenzy Show and some exciting projects we have coming up. Stay tuned and thanks for listening. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Vampires, werewolves, zombies, 
Yes, these things are real, but fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry. Mark Temple is discreet. Coming from gooey films, an adventure like no other. From the mind of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Watson! The year is 1896, and Sherlock Holmes faces his most peculiar case yet. The Mystery of the Six Napoleons. Good, thank you. Come, Watson, the game is afoot. Joshua Kennedy as the master detective, a new and exciting Sherlock Holmes. I dare call nothing trivial, Watson, nothing. You'll remember how the dreadful case of the Abernethy family was first brought to my attention by the depth, depth which, which the, the parsley had... had sunk into the butter on a hot day. Yes, yes, we all know what you did. Bessie Nellis, Dr. Watson's most beautiful portrayer. It is clear that the possession of this trifling bust was worth more in the eyes of our strange criminal than that of a human life. Jonathan Danziger as Inspector Lestrade. Amy Ziliax as Mrs. Hudson. Also starring a cavalcade of great talent, Jake Williams, Tracy Thomas, George Chapper, Michael Rosenfeld, Will McKinley, Mark Holmes. Yes, it's quite humorous if I do say so myself. Well, there it is. Return of Sherlock Holmes. See it in Gooey School. So I didn't get a chance to talk to Mark Holmes last year at the Monster Bash, but he was here supporting Josh Kennedy and, well, just having a great time. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. This is a wonderful place to be and a wonderful time to be here. How many years have you been coming to the Bash? Actually, this is number two. Oh, really? So last yes. year was your first year. Last year was my very first year. Wow. It's uh, five and a half, six hours from my house, and it was well worth the drive. So we decided to come back this year again. Excellent. Right, so what's the, uh, so far, I mean, it's Saturday, early evening, late afternoon. So far, what's the best thing you've seen or done? The best thing that happened to me, I was going in to watch the uh, Lost Classic, The Monkey's Paw, last night at eight o'clock. Yeah. They had found a print in France, and they were going to show it here. And there was a gentleman behind me who was carrying an infant. So I held the door open for him and he walked up to me and he said, there's no need to hold the door for me. You were in Slave Girls on the Moon. So I was, I had the tiniest little tiniest part in that movie. And this young man recognized me and I was reverse starstruck. And I was absolutely speechless. By the time I got my composure together, 
he was actually scouting out four seats for his family, so I didn't I didn't bother him. But I did run into him again today, and I spoke to him a, a wow. little bit. So I've got a bona fide star here at my table right now, is what we're saying. What's the version of a male starlet? <laughs> <laughs> Shooting star, <laughs> crashing crashing star, falling star. <laughs> Slave Girls on the Moon is one of uh, Josh Kennedy's productions. Uh, how long ago was that? That would be around 2013. It's been a little while. It's been a few years, yes. Was that pre-film school for him? That was his first movie at Pace University. Okay, okay. Yes. He actually had shot the entire movie with his friends up at school. Mm-hmm. All indoors. Everything was done indoors. He reworked the college to be the moon prison. As and, you know. But he needed a crash site for the flying saucer. Mm-hmm. And he contacted me because I live in South Jersey. Everything up around New York area is pretty well developed. And he said, do you know of a spot that looks like a barren wasteland? And I said, I got a couple spots. My wife and I will scout them out and I'll get back to you. So we took a roundy round road trip of where I live. Mm -hmm. And we found the perfect spot, what I believe was the perfect spot. And uh, I wound up going up to New York, picking up Josh, coming back to my house. He spent the night, and then early Sunday morning, we went out to the area. It was Palmyra Cove, right by the Delaware River. And there was a huge area that was uh, no grass growing. And he said, this is perfect. It looks just like Roswell, New Mexico, which is where the scene is supposed to be. And uh, we shot my scene, and it was it was really cool. Uh, through the... We had the little model with us. There was a model of a flying saucer, and it's only about 10 inches around. But through movie magic, the saucer was gigantic, and I was about, you know, two <laughs> inches tall in the final scene. That's awesome. And that, of course, is available through Alpha Video. I think they've got it. That's an Alpha movie. Yeah. So that's that's out there for people to see. If, if you got to see Mark Holmes in a crashed flying saucer, that's where you got to go. That's where you see it. But you do movies of your own, too. I do. And you've got a short one that... I started to do some sound work on it and then just got swamped. I'm so sorry about I that. I understand. I've never bugged you about it. Because I like to shoot my own short movie. I got the acting bug working with Josh and with my uh, friend down in Florida, the editor emeritus of AC Comics, Bill Black. I got the bug from those two gentlemen. And I, sh- I shoot my own movies. I belong to a Facebook group called Ape Suit Cinema, mm-hmm. where they honor the classic actors who worked in gorilla suits That's over right. the years. Yeah, Charles Babbage is, is a big presence there. He's been on the show. Exactly. Yeah. Which is a dying genre. Unfortunately. CGI. They're still, they still show up every now and then. So one year they put out a uh, contest to make an ape suit movie. And they didn't get a lot of entries. And they're smart gentlemen there. So they said, okay, we're going to dial this back a little bit. Make the trailer for the ape suit movie that you would like to make. Mm-hmm. And I said, I can do that. You just cut to all the scenes that you want to see and don't worry about all the filler in between. <laughs> so I have a wonderful family and uh, my daughter was very nice and agreed to be my starlet in that movie. And I got a bunch of my friends together and I dug up all my props that I've been collecting over the years. My total out-of-pocket budget for that movie was five dollars because I had had everything for other projects that either I did do or didn't do, uh-huh. and I could cobble together stuff from what I had. So I bought. I had to buy a lab coat, and I found that at a thrift store for four dollars. And I was going to make an eye patch 
but I found an eye patch hanging on the rack for a dollar. So I said, ah, I'll spend a dollar. So $5 budget. I shot all the special effects. My, I did all practical. I wanted to shoot this really old school. I did all practical effects in camera. And I saved all the acting for one afternoon. And we got everybody together and everybody was fantastic. And I had a, I had a young woman lined up to be the evil space queen, but she had to bow out. So my daughter played two roles. She played the uh, girl scientist and the evil space queen, and she did a fantastic job. I never got my cat fight. That's what I wanted to shoot was a cat fight between the uh, – that didn't happen. But other than that, everything ran smoothly. I, I put together the film with my limited editing ability, and I've never worked with music or sound before. So I said, okay, I'm just going to make this like an old-school Super 8 movie where – I would just play the music in the background mm -hmm. or any sound effects would just be in the background. And if the microphone picked it up, then the microphone picked it up and it worked. It wasn't fantastic. It worked. It, it suited what I wanted to do. Ultra, super low budget, get it done and put it out there. And, and what's it called? It's called cyber ape versus the Hellbots, which is one of the best titles ever. It's exactly what you think that movie is going to be. Okay. <laughs> So I entered it into the contest, and I actually got honorable mention. I came in fourth. Fantastic. And the winner absolutely deserved to win. She, she did a wonderful job, and she produced a wonderful movie, or trailer. And she's actually working on a part two, which I'm anxious to see. Right on. I, they're running the same contest again this year, and I'm going to put in another entry. Yeah. But they've actually tightened the rules up, because a lot of these trailers, my trailer clocked in at over seven minutes. They want it down to three minutes. No. So it's going to be, you're going to get some action packed into this yeah. three minutes. There's going to be no fluff at all. I remember the uh, the Frankenstein's ape one. Yes. Yeah, that one, it's great, but I, it also runs long. It so. runs long. Yes. That but, was an actual movie. Right. That was not in the contest because oh, okay. he was one of the uh, founding members of the of mm -hmm. the site. So he, it's, uh, he Chris exonerated, yes, he yeah. exonerated himself from the, from the contest. Mm -hmm. That looked excellent. Yeah. I want to see that movie. I would love yes. to see that. I'd love to see that. Yeah. No, that's fun. Well, that's awesome. I love ape suit cinema. I just, yes. there's not enough site. of it today. Right. There, there needs to right. be more. There needs to be more men in suit stuff anyway. We need to actually ratchet it back and get more practical effects back into movies. Yeah. There, there's a rumor out there that the new uh, Picard series that they're filming for CBS Access, All Access, with... Uh, Patrick Stewart, mm -hmm. it's all green screen. They can't afford physical sets, so they're just trotting the actors out there on a gigantic green screen stage, and that's what you're going to get. I hadn't heard that rumor. Yeah. I'm super disappointed to hear that. Right. They brought in Jonathan Frakes to direct four episodes, and from what I've heard, he did it in record time. So... Well, he's, so he's, there's no breaking down of sets or moving actors because you're all on the same green screen stage. That's the rumor I heard. I really don't know how I feel about that. I, I, there's nothing like actually sitting in a chair. There's nothing like an actual rubber tentacle wrapping around a guy's neck. There's nothing quite like a rubber tentacle. I agree. You can, you can go on <laughs> Sci-Fi Channel any day of the week. Ooh. Now, I love the Asylum movies. They're, they appeal to me for their low budget. Mm -hmm. But the low budget they're doing is all CGI. Yeah. And I'd rather see a rubber tentacle go around a guy's neck than a CGI <laughs> tentacle go around. Hashtag bring rubber tentacles back. Rubber tentacles. There we go. 
Uh, so we've got House of the Gorgon tonight, which I know you're excited for. I am very excited for that. I was very honored when Josh sent me a message and said, could you come down to Texas and help me make this movie? And when Josh asked, you say yes. I was very honored to go down there. Most of my work was uh, behind the scenes. I do have a couple of scenes in the movie where I play random villager in the yeah, background. you're in the tavern. I am actually in the trailer oh, twice. Oh, that's right. You are. You are, yeah. Because I am a pallbearer, mm-hmm. but I was on the wrong side of the coffin. <laughs> so you see my shoulder. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm looking forward to House of the Gorgon a lot. After House of the Gorgon, what is there left to do here? Well, I continue to write. I'm lucky enough to write for AC Comics in their flagship Femforce title, which is the first all-female team of superheroes. It's also the longest-running all team of female superheroes. I didn't realize you wrote for the book. I wrote for the book. Yeah, That's I amazing. do write for the book. That's yeah. awesome. We should talk more. <laughs> okay, I'm whenever whenever Derek calls, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Back in 1987, you couldn't go down the street without knocking over a comic book store. I remember those days fondly. I had a my local comic book store. I went in there one day, and I'm going through the racks, and I see Fem Force number seven. It was subtitled The Western Jam, and it was three superheroines dressed as Western gunfighters. And that cover leapt off the shelf into my hands. I couldn't buy that book fast enough. I was say, I'm in. That's, that's all I need. <laughs> I'm a superhero guy. I'm a huge superheroine guy. And I'm a Western guy. You weren't getting Western comics in the 1980s. So I, read, I read, got home, read that issue. And the next day, I went back to my favorite comic book store, and I said, any Femforce comic you have, I want. Any AC comic, which was the entire, which was the company, any of those comics you have, I want them also. Mm-hmm. And I bought every one that he had. There were many gaps. And like I said, there were plenty of comic book stores back in the 80s. So I went on a tri-state <laughs> marathon over the next couple of weeks, and I got just about every AC comic I could get my hands on. And I followed them religiously because they were producing the kind of retro style comics that I like. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the 80s and 90s, Marvel and DC were going into more gritty realism. These guys were sticking with good guys are good, bad yeah. guys are bad. It's a much more Silver Age kind of approach. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And that's exactly where I live. That's my wheelhouse. So I followed them. Up to, I want to say, around the year 2000 or so. And then money started getting tight. I had a couple of kids, a mortgage. You know, I was doing the adult thing. <laughs> and we made some serious decisions in my house. You know, we're going to cut this. We're going to cut that. We're going to deal with this. You know, kids come first. So I was out of comics completely for about 10 years. From about 2002, maybe 2000 to 2010. Then things got better. The kids were grown up. They were doing well. And my wife bought me for my birthday the back issue run that I missed out. So I got about wow. 60 issues in one lump sum wow, that's awesome. for my birthday. And I sat down and I read them and I, it recaptured all the old days. Now, in that 10-year span, a little something called email mm-hmm. had become popular. Now, back in the old days when I was reading comics, I never wrote to a comic book company. I never had the guts to actually write a letter, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, address mm-hmm. it, stick it in. I never did that. 
So email happened. They had an email address. And I emailed the editor. His name was Mark Heike. I told him my history briefly, just like what I, I just repeated what I did here. And I appreciated them hanging in there while all the other, not all the other, but many, many independent right. comic book companies fell by the wayside. And these guys are still going strong. He welcomed me back. He said, welcome back into the full. We're here. We don't plan on going anywhere. So through the power of email, I decided to become a super fan. I read every issue. I break it down and critique it. This is what I like. This is what, you know, this is what I didn't like. Always constructive criticism. I was never, I can get snarky when I want to, but I'm really not that, <laughs> I'm really not a snarky guy. It has okay. to be really egregious for me to get really snarky. So Mark was a great guy. He answered every question I had. And then I got the writing bug. I've always been a writer, but I never thought anything I wrote was good enough. I never shared any fiction that I ever wrote with anybody. In fact, just a couple of years ago, I found a lot of my notes from high school. And I said, oh, my God, this is it all comes back to me now. Yeah, I've been there, too. I wrote I, I have a favorite character that they were. It's a actual golden age character from the old magazine Enterprises Comics Group called the Black Phantom. Okay. It's a female gunslinger. She was a bad girl who got reformed and now she's a deputy U.S. Marshal. So I always liked that. I much like the bad girl turning good more than the good girl turning bad, which we see much too often these days, in my opinion. So I actually wrote a seven chapter short story about the Black Phantom having an adventure in the Old West. I got all emboldened and I sent it into the editor. He was very nice and said, that's not how we do things. First of all, this is unusable as a comic book strip. It's a nice short story, but I can't use it as a comic book strip. And second, since I didn't ask for it, I can't use it because it's just not how we do it. He yeah. says he gets stories sent to him unsolicited all the time. And let's say there's a story where hero A punches villain B, right? And it just so happened that he had written himself a story where hero A punches villain B and that gets published. And then the unsolicited writer said, Hey, you just stole my idea. Yep. So he says, I'm not going to read your story because I didn't ask for it. If you want to send me something in a proper comic book script, I said, I can do that. Can you send me one of your stories so I can know the proper format and I'll use that as a template. Gotcha. And he was very nice. And he sent me one of them. I read it and I copied the format, the template. Page one, panel one, describe mm -hmm. the panel, dialogue, caption boxes, move on to panel two. I did that, wrote a story, sent it in, and I didn't hear from him for weeks. And I said, all right, I, all right. He, was, he, he read it, didn't yeah. like it. I got the brush off. I'm a big boy. I can take it. Few weeks go by, and then he sends me an email, and he says, uh, "I'm surprised you never emailed me back after that glowing endorsement I liked of your first story. I actually really enjoyed it, but then I realized that I never sent it. He went through his sent email file, and he never sent me the email. So he says, "I'm not going to recreate it. It was a good story. We got it in production. Do you have anything more like that?" I was a prepared and I had another story ready to go. That's so cool. And I sent that in and he sent me an email back and he says, I love this story. I'm fast tracking this one to get it in as fast as possible. So he said, keep them coming. And I've been keeping them coming. Now, 
the first two were accepted. The third one, he didn't like so much. So I do have, uh, I want to say, three-fifths, two-fifths acceptance, denial. He doesn't like everything I send in, which it's his book. So I've, I've really enjoyed myself writing for my favorites. It's like a dream come true. That's amazing. My, my favorite superhero team, and I actually got the right for them. And I've been doing that since 2012. Wow. So... Uh, the Black Phantom. You made a short film about that too, didn't you? I made two short films with yeah, that. I, I remember okay. seeing it on your YouTube channel. Well, one of them I gave to Bill Black, okay. and that's his movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, I said, that's yours to do with what you wish. I went down to Florida, and at a they had a 30th anniversary convention for AC Comics. And I they said, any AC alum or AC fans are more than welcome to come down to this convention. It was a small comic book convention. They were going to have their own room off to the side. And that's where we were going to have our little thing. So I said, I'd love to come down. My wife and I went down there. And uh, Bill Black is a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And he was making a giant woman movie called uh, The Amazing Colossal Woman. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to shoot some scenes and stick fans. And I had written two, three stories by then. So he says, I'll stick any friend of mine in my movie. So he goes, he had a room up on the fourth floor of the hotel and he had us down in the courtyard and the basic scene is you look up you see a giant woman you're terrified and you run away right and my wife and i did that however the the footage for that was unusable because it was overcast that day and florida oh, no. all his other footage is on sunny florida <laughs> so he says i just i'm sorry i just can't use it. i said that's okay i understand the next year comes by and he planned on making a uh, jungle girl movie he had shot three chapters of a Nyoka the Jungle Girl serial already, mm-hmm. and he wanted to edit them all into one movie, and he needed a lot of background filler. So he says, I want anybody who wants to help can come down and help. And I said, absolutely, I'm, ready. I'm there. So I went down there, and I got the filmmaking bug. When I say help, when Bill said push the button for the record, I would push the button for the record. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, and he said, once you're there, put on a costume, you're in the movie. So... I learned to do double duty, work behind the scenes and in front of the camera. I played a drunk. It was acting. I don't drink, but that was, it's easy to play a drunk. You just stagger around, and I threw my <laughs> drink around everywhere, and I get thrown out of the jungle bar. So that was awesome. It, it made it into the movie, so I'm happy. And that movie turned out to be Nyoka and the Lost Amulet of Vultura, which you can get from Night Vale Media if you want to go the physical route. You can download it there also. And you can find it on Roku if you do a search on Roku. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, does he have a separate channel? No, no, no. He, he's friends with a guy who has a Roku channel. Okay. And that guy was looking for content. And Bill says, I have some content. So Yeah. But you'll see it with commercials if you watch it on Roku. And I've seen some of Bill's movies as well. I don't yes. remember seeing one with you in it, but I have seen one with Josh. Right. Where he gets stepped on. Yes. That was <laughs> the, uh, I'm in that one. Oh, are you in that one? I'm uh, a prepper. I have uh, a rifle and a pistol and a knife. Yes. And I actually attacked the giant woman with a grenade. That's right. I remember I that I shot one now. that in my backyard in my New Jersey house. And he just cut it off And again. Josh shot his scene in his front street of his house in Texas. Mm-hmm. So there's at least three states represented when all the action happens in Florida. That's, <laughs> that's movie magic again. That's right. Bill that's right. I had helped. I'd gone down there to help him shoot extra scenes for that movie. And then he said, if you want to do anything on your own... You know, I've always, I need a guy to run and attack and throw a grenade at the giant woman. 
So I said, I can do that. And I come back to New Jersey. And then every spare minute I had, it was cloudy and overcast. So I remembered that I can't shoot cloudy and overcast because my big scene was cut because of cloud. So I had to wait for a nice, beautiful day. So we finally got a beautiful Saturday morning. My wife was out with her sister shopping, I believe. So I went out back and I rigged everything up by myself and I shot my stuff outside. And then when I reviewed the footage, it seemed like every private pilot in Burlington County was out flying his airplane that day. There was just buzzing in the background everywhere. So I, I contacted Bill and I said, I got some great footage, but the sound is terrible. And he says, don't worry about it. I can, I can fix all that. He's a sound guy. He can fix all that. So I sent it down there. He said, oh, it was great. And it did make it in the movie. And I didn't hear one plane buzzing in the background. Good. So Good. <laughs> Bill's movies are very, um, I mean, Bill, Josh, yes. uh, Christopher Mim. I mean, they're all low-budget yes. filmmakers that make movies kind of referencing the classic stuff that we like. Um, but they all have their own different aesthetic. Right. You know, uh, Mim's yeah. is very 50s. Bill's is very... Well, there's that comic book kind of sense to comic it. Book-y, comic booky, comic booky, kind of filtered through AIP, a right? Bit. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a different take mm-hmm. on the material, but they're still fun, right? They're right, mean, absolutely. I just have a blast with those too. Okay, and well, that's I, cool, man. I've kind of wormed my way into the meme verse. Also, Chris put out a call for props for his latest right. movie. I remember seeing you answering the call, and I answered that call, and I built a uh, three items for him, and. He said he liked them. I, I hope they make it into the movie. Is so. it was that for the current one? The Phantom yeah. Lake Kids movie. Yeah. Yes, that's fantastic. So, I, I love seeing the Kennedy stuff and the Mim stuff right. kind of. This, this whole world for me, it, it's been a crazy ride because they're all starting to come together. Right. I've all approached them differently, and each one because Josh has done stuff for Bill. Mm-hmm. Bill would be more than happy to do stuff if Josh asked him. He would jump to do something for him and i discovered christopher meme by watching a trailer for a bill black movie on youtube where one of the comments was this reminds me of a christopher meme movie wow so i google searched christopher meme i said well if it bill black movie i gotta find i found christopher beam and i was stunned by his trailers that i found on youtube yep and my first Christopher Meme movie was The Phantom of Monster Lake. Oh, you went back to the, the very first one. That is the very well, first one. Well, that's the one I found on Amazon. And I watched that from beginning to end. And I said, that is exactly the kind of movie that I want to watch. So, Have you seen the most recent one, Queen of Snakes? I have not seen Queen of Snakes yet. It's good. He yeah. does something in there that's totally different than anything right. he's ever done before. Right. I'm not going to say what it is in case you exactly. don't know, but I, it's I, pretty I will, amazing. I, I love to find out on my own. Yep. I found Josh via my comic book work because I was Facebook friends with an artist and he had made friends with Josh through the Creature of the Black Lagoon Facebook site. (laughs) It's just how this world works. I've yet to meet the comic book artist that introduced me to Josh via Facebook. I've met Josh a dozen times. He slept over my house. You know, I've been to his hometown. I've visited him in college. It's just crazy out of this world. And here we are. I'm sitting with Derek. You're a Northwest. I'm a New Jersey boy. And we would never have met. Mm-hmm. Not like this, you know. Yeah, if not if for, if not for Facebook, movies, yeah. movies and general interests. Social media has, has completely changed my life. And that didn't start till I was in my 40s. 
it's pretty amazing. Like you said, the world's all kind of coming together. Uh, you know, yeah. Mitch doing the rubber snakes for House of the Gorgon, but right. he normally does the monsters for Mem. And then, right, you right. know, I've done some voice work for Mem, and I right. did the sound and, work on Gorgon. And, and here, just, you're yeah. helping me out. My my Cyber 8 movie is finished. It did its job. Yep. I, I will. You saw it. You liked it. I will get to it. And you reached out to me, and I said, absolutely. And I always say, when somebody's helping me out, on your time when yeah. when it's your time I've ne- I've never once asked you um, for an update I'm on a when it's your t- when it's your time you will do it I need to finish a paying gig that I'm on right Absolutely. now and then after that, that I'm come, right back in family comes first for me you know yeah. you need to take care of your family first and then if you got extra time that's fine yep it'll happen it'll happen yep you know I got to get my name out there man I, I love Absolutely. doing the sound work and. I had no idea you had such a rich comic book background. We we really do need to talk off mic. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'm I love talking. I've gotten into the comic book convention business. Mm-hmm. I set up my own table. I have my books out and I announce on uh, my I'm mostly a Facebook guy. I don't do Twitter or anything like that. And I say if anybody wants to come by, we can talk Fem Force, we can talk superheroines, we can talk general comics, we can talk about anything. I love to talk to people. I love to go out and the fandom is awesome. I mean, yeah. I have not one in run into one nasty person at Monster Bash. It's nope. just an amazing group of people. I was talking with um Reber's wife about that earlier. Right. Uh, Reber Clark, the composer of yes. House of the Gorgon. Yes. That this particular community mm-hmm. It's just so inclusive and welcoming, and, right? And just right. it's amazing. Okay, I'm I'm not gonna kid you. Femforce features very attractive, mm-hmm. sexy, buxom women, right? That was the aesthetic back in the '80s, and we've never really gotten away from that. However, when a couple approaches me to the table, I always say hi to the gentleman, and then I engage the wife, girlfriend, friend. Mm-hmm passerby you know i always talk to the women first and in my last convention i actually sold more femfus books to women than i did to men the big one i did last year it was uh 60 40 i did more men to women and but so i would love to get more ladies out there reading fem it's a i don't like the word empowering because i don't think that's a good word to describe people it's a book about real, I don't want to say real is not the right word either. It's a book about women who take care of themselves and they don't need to be rescued by men. Okay. Well, Mark, we've got a game that we play on the show. We've got to play it with Ooh, you, Oh, yes, yes, yes. I Do the classic five. Some of my friends have played this game. I've been dying to do All right. Okay. First card right off the top. Which movie do you prefer? Werewolf of London or The Wolfman? Wolfman. Yeah. Uh, Lon, Lon Chaney Jr. brought so much heart to that role. I've seen Werewolf of London and I enjoyed it. The Wolfman ranks right up there at the top with my list of movies that I would watch again and again. Yeah, it's and Larry it, Talbot. I mean, there's a character. there's a there's a you like that guy. Yeah. And there's a throwaway line in the beginning that saves the movie that others have spotted out, but I spotted it when they mentioned that he's an American. They didn't try to get Lon Chaney to do a accent, a European accent. I can't even imagine. I cannot imagine like. him being a European. He's an American. They mention it. It's a throwaway line, and it cements the entire movie. Yeah. Now I'm trying to imagine what that would even sound like. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. All right. Here's from the Monster Bash deck. Who's been your favorite celebrity guest to meet at Monster Bash? My favorite celebrity guest to meet at Monster Bash is Drac. Yeah? I just, I met Drac today. I found him <laughs> on Facebook, 
and I met him, and oh. he's such a gentleman. It's a lie. I've never seen this man in my life, doggone it. He's just a name dropper. <laughs> it's great. I've, I've met so many great people. I want to say Drac was a good guy. Mummy and the Monkey, they're a great couple. Mm-hmm. I don't want to miss Carlita. She's Carlita Drac. But uh, I have to say that all the great people I met at Monster Bash, I have met before. So I really can't say there was a great... You can say me, Mark. Well, I kind of met you online before oh. I met you. <laughs> met you in person at Monster Bash. No, it's not. Once again, once again, my social media has opened up a world to me that I, I never would have I never would have met. Yeah, it's it's yeah. awesome that we've got this web that all it, these Yeah. Yep. Webs are a good word. Yep. All right. Next question. What one black and white monster movie do you want to see colorized? Oh, that's a good one. I think Earth versus the Flying Saucers would suffer if you colorized it. So I don't want to say that one. Didn't they colorize that with Harryhausen's involvement? If they did, I missed it. All right. You know what? I'm going to go way off the board. I think the Mexican movie Ship of Monsters would be an excellent, excellent colorized movie. Let me tell you something. Two attractive women are the stars of that movie. There are monsters. But the thing that got me was I did not hate the guy. I thought he was a very likable guy. I wouldn't mind hanging out with him. I'm not a drinker, but I would go to the tavern with him. And I'd love to hear him tell a story. He's a storyteller. There you go. I like that guy. <laughs> I like that. I really like that guy. So I, I'm going to say Ship of Monsters should be colorized. If not, made again. But it has to be in the 60s style. I want very sexy space aliens. I want gruesome monsters. Derek, Derek. You're a man who knows what he likes. The Venusians need men on their planet, and they skip right past Earth, and they get the most hideous monsters in the galaxy to bring them back, and they accidentally land on Earth where there are men. All right. You got to let these things go sometimes. Okay. (laughs) All right. The fourth card. What do you prefer, the monsters or the Adams family? Adams family. Yeah? Gomez Adams was actually one of my role models on how to be a father. Wow. How to be a husband and a father, I should say. I love my parents. My dad was a great man. He did as good a job as possible raising us. There wasn't a lot of physical affection, right? Gomez loved his children, and he passionately loved his wife, and he did not care who saw it. She would slip and say a French word, and that would drive him bananas, and he would start kissing right up her arm no matter who was in the room and i said that's the kind of guy i want to be i want to be a good father that loves my children and i want to be a passionate husband for my wife i think i've i think i've accomplished that that's a really good answer i like that and but i love the monsters and uh herman was a great dad and husband also it's, it's kind of odd that my go-tos are uh monsters <laughs> yeah i wouldn't call gomez a monster but he was an odd duck this and, is true. This is true. And my other favorite TV dad, if we want to branch out just a little bit more, was uh, John Robinson from Lost in Space. <laughs> my dad was in the Army. He was all over the world. And when he settled down, we settled down. We did not go anywhere. So my whole youth, a trip up from one end of New Jersey to the other was a long trip. We never traveled anywhere. So uh, I would watch Lost in Space and I said well here's a dad who packed his family up and took him on the longest trip ever so my when I was raising children 
like I said, my father did as best as he could. We traveled. We went places and did things. That's the way I wanted to be. And I owe that a lot to television. My father did a great example on how to be a good father, take care of everything, make sure we were never hungry, never cold, never without clothes. He did all that great. But he didn't know how to have fun. So I wanted to do all that and have fun. So, okay. That's awesome. All right, we got Thank one you. more. We one got more. one more, I think. Yeah, so yeah. card number five. Number five. Which movie do you prefer? It, The Terror from Beyond Space, or It Conquered the World? Oh, you just, you just, <laughs> you just rammed a stake right through. Okay, if you're going to make me choose, It, The Terror from Beyond Space. Yeah. I like that movie a lot. There's many reasons I like that movie a lot. It Conquered the World had Lee Van Cleef in it who is one of my absolute favorites, Beverly Garland, one of my absolute favorites. But I have to go with the other one because I think it's the better story. You're, I'm sure you're aware that the producers of Alien were aware of that movie. Mm-hmm. But the producers of it were aware of a science fiction story called The Voyage of the Space Beagle by A.E. Van Vaux, where they land on a planet, pick up an alien accidentally, it starts to kill off the crew one by one, and they defeat it by blowing it out the airlock. That was written in the 1930s. And I said, wow. <laughs> I, saw the, I saw the black and white movie first, mm-hmm. and then I saw Alien, and then I read Voyage of the Space Beagle. And I said, okay, I see this. So, But Lee Van Cleef, Spaghetti Western, I'm there. You ask me any Spaghetti Western, I will tell you a Lee Van Cleef movie first. Oh, I love Spaghetti Westerns. See, we need to be friends, man. That's that's that's. Well, how- I I hope we are friends. But there we go. There we go. Uh, Beverly Garland, I thought, would go back to the husband wife thing, mm-hmm. in uh, it conquered the world. I thought she was the greatest wife ever. Here he is. He's Lee Van Cleef's having a breakdown. He's completely under the thrall of the alien, and he's okay with it. She loves him, and she will not give up on him. She fights to the very end to try to save her husband, and she. Gives up her own life attacking the alien head on. I thought, I said, my God, that's the kind of woman I want to marry. <laughs> yeah, I said, she, she had no chance. And she said, I'm, I love him. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, yeah. Amazing. It's amazing. It's a solid film. These were all solid answers, man. Mark, oh, this thank was you. awesome. We'll have to have you on the show proper down the line at some okay. point. Okay. Find something to talk about. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk when, about, when, about some comments. When Cyber 8 is completed, uh-huh. we'll have a Cyber 8. I love that special. idea. Love and hopefully, idea. I'll be working on. Uh, Cyber Ape into space or whatever I'm going to do for my next movie. <laughs> I'm, it's, it's looking like Cyber Ace goes to space. Awesome. So, okay. Awesome. Once each week, the Adams family open their home and invite you to join their Adams work. They're always cooking up something special. Uh-huh. That's odd. What's odd, dear? No cousin Imar wore turtleneck sweaters. <laughs> What dragon? Who killed the dragon? A knight in shining armor. That is it all. You ought to hear some of the other stories in her book. Let me see that, darling. Grimm's Fairy Tales. What a lovely name, Grimm. How could he write such terrible stories? He must be sick. So drop in and see The Addams Family, starring Carolyn Jones and John Astin. It's a different twist you'll enjoy every week on ABC.
The slave girls on the moon, enslaved to every cruel desire of an evil madman. You have been imprisoned for having flown through the forbidden stars. Prisoner will receive a minimum of 64 years. 64 years? What about my life? The personal life is dead on the moon. Brutalized and <laughs> savaged by creatures who are only half men. How was your first night, Chloe? Did you sleep well? Yes, I did. Strange. No one ever sleeps well here at Beswick. <laughs> and women who are more than all women. Now, remove your garments. Right now? Don't be shy. You're among friends. Now, only one woman can rescue them from the warden who maims tender bodies for his own selfish ends. Do you know what the warden's nickname for me is? Chopstick! <gasps> A talent show? Yeah. The show will be our cover. We'll have this rehearse, the other half will be digging beneath the stage. The warden will kill us all dead. Who is in my office? Yeah, suppose I tell the warden about this plan. Then I'll whoop your ass. But I sure as hell am not gonna die 100,000 years after I'm supposed to. We're not gonna let any of you out of our sight from now on. Even in the showers? Especially in the showers. This summer, get ready. Suggested for mature audiences. It's gonna be awesome! It is Sunday morning. It is early, but it's worth it. I get to talk with my friend Frank Delastrito, the man behind so many cool books on my bookshelf. Minus one, and that's the new one. What's the name of it, man? Carl Denham's Giant Monsters. Carl Denham. It's gotta be King Kong related. It's King Kong related. So, for those who don't know, Carl Denham is the man that captured King Kong in the 1933 movie, brought him back to New York, where King Kong was shot down from the Empire State Building. Then later in 1933, in Son of Kong, Carl Denham appears. He goes back to Skull Island, kind of comes to terms with his guilt over Kong, and escapes the island as Little Kong, the Son of Kong, that is. And the, and the villagers, all the dinosaurs in the island just sink in the Pacific, never to be seen again, but Carl Denham survives. In my book, I talk about his life. Now, in real life, my wife and I lived in Indonesia on a, and in big, bustling Jakarta, which was a, a nice city. I, I liked being there, but you had to get out of that city every now and then. So every now and then, we'd go to a small island called Kotak, which is probably the smallest island in Indonesia. Indo Indonesia has 17,000 islands. It's the smallest island in Indonesia that is, has a permanent human population. And it's a, it's a small, very modest resort where divers go, people like that. And it's mostly three-wall bungalows. You sleep and you can see the Java Sea as you're in your bed. But on the island was this one house on the far end, which was a big step up from every other building there. And it was inaccessible. There was a fence around it. I never knew who was in there. Well, in my book, after a stormy night, I see an old man lying on the ground needing help. I help him up. I help him into the big house plop him down and it turns out he is Carl Denham Carl Denham who has been hiding from US jurisdiction <laughs> for decades and, I, and just to, for those who don't know at the beginning of Son of Kong we learned that as a result of King Kong's rampage through New York 
Carl Denham is buried in lawsuits and buried in indictments. And when a criminal indictment is coming down from the highest court in New York, he decides to leave. He escapes on the venture with Captain Engelhorn. After a few trips, they get to Skull Island where the adventure unfolds. And after that, in my books, Denham makes his way back to Indonesia where he has stayed, except for he goes on a lot of adventures. Because one of the premises for my book is that a man with Denham's thirst for adventure would not just give it up. So in my book, Hersey has a family that we don't hear about in the movies. Oh, wow. He, uh, his mother married three times. He was the oldest child. Her second child was with her second husband, and his name was Max O'Hara. For those of you who don't know, Max O'Hara is the man in, is the prime character in Mighty Joe Young, prime character except for the giant ape Joe Young. And in my book, Denim actually accompanies his brother there, because if you watch the movie, uh, Max O'Hara is kind of scared of it, the jungle. He doesn't really belong there. And when, and when Carl hears he's going, he goes to support his younger brother. His sister, who was also a half-sister, her father was, was Maple White. And for you real experts out there, you recognize that name. Maple White was the lost explorer who got to the plateau in the lost world before anybody else did. And Professor Challenger's expedition was both an exploration and a rescue mission for the father. And that was Carl Denham's stepfather, and his sister is the, is the woman on the expedition. And he goes with them mainly to help find his stepfather, and so he has adventures there. He comes home, gets a job as a reporter, and his first assignment is the Scopes Trial in Tennessee, <laughs> where he meets Clarence Darrow... William Jennings, Brian, and the whole crew. Wow. Then comes his career as a filmmaker. He meets Captain Engelhorn and Jack Driscoll. And after Kong, he makes his way back to Indonesia, and he's, he's uh, basically dealing with himself. He, a lot of guilt over what happened to King Kong, and a lot of sorrow and a tinge of guilt over what happened to Little Kong. And he's dealing with that. It makes him rather morose. He... Uh, He's living with the woman who was uh, in Son of Kong, but he's a difficult man to live with. Then after the war, he kind of comes out of it. After World War II, 1941-45, incidentally, for those who don't know, Indonesia was occupied by the Japanese from 1942 to 1945, and Carl Denham gets mixed up in that a bit, but I I don't spend a lot of time in the war years. But after that, he's, he's kind of recovered psychologically, and he's ready for another adventure. He happens into the port of all cafes where he meets the adventurers who will go to the unknown island. He goes with them. <laughs> and uh, throughout the book, and I, throughout, throughout the book, I am meeting with him. And each chapter starts with Linda and I, my wife and I, going to Kotak for the weekend. And she and I go visit Denim and he tells, tells his stories. So every chapter starts with me telling, okay, this trip, I, you know, we did this. And it, there's a lot of Indonesian life in there. And since we lived in Indonesia, it's, it's authentic. And uh, one of the few people that's had a chance to read the book yet is David Colton, who runs the Rondo Awards and is well-known to Monster fans. He uh, posted online that he, he just loved it. It was very authentic. He, had, he could believe it, and he told me that personally. He comes back from that, and there's more adventures ahead. He goes on an expedition in the Arctic uh, where he, with a, well, I forget the character names. No, I know the character names, but you might not. He goes with Peter Cushing and Forrest, <laughs> Forrest Tucker. <laughs> And that's his, that's his first expedition into, into some places cold. And when he was in South America, and he's been to South America with a, twice with the, uh, with the Challenger expedition, also 
1914, as a young man, he was on the Teddy Roosevelt expedition that went to South America. So he's, he knows South America, and he made a friend there at the time was a young Dr. Carl Maia. And Carl Maia writes oh, him no. <laughs> and says, we just found this fossil, and we're going back up to a place called the Black Lagoon and looking for a creature. So Denim goes with him, and he, he, he has no interest in fossils. But uh, something I won't tell you had happened in the book where he suspects there's something living up the headwaters of the Amazon. And that, that in a nutshell is my book. Throughout the, <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you this, but throughout the book, he keeps referring to his friend Steve, who he's going to have one more adventure with. Now, Steve and Giant Monsters is all the clues that true monster kids who have watched all the big monster movies know who I'm talking about. And he hooks up with him for one last adventure. But I'm not going to give you more detail on that. So knowing your books, as I do, because I love them, there's so much more. I mean, you, you gave us like a, a nice bullet point. This is happening. Yeah. But there's so much more to it. Where can people get the book? Well, people can get the book on Amazon. Okay. They can get it on eBay. They can get it from my website, coltmoviespress.com, uh, which is cheaper than going either way. You can email me directly, and I, I might, depending on what we're talking about, cut you a deal, and that's F. Dello Strito, F D E L L O S T R I T T O, at hotmail.com. Or you can go to the Munster Bash every year until the books are absolutely sold out, or I am sold out. <laughs> Has there been a new book from you every year at the Bash now? No, no, no. I, I can't do a book a year. Because last year was the, the new werewolf. No, book, no, wasn't no. It? Uh, the new werewolf book is actually two years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it uh, was 2017. I need more coffee this yeah. morning to remember yeah. my dates. <laughs> no, I, I, my books were spaced out. I, my first book was the first edition of Vampire of a London Bela Lugosi in Britain. That was actually 2000. <laughs> and then my next book was 2003, A Quaint and Curious Volume of Forgotten Lore, which are essays on the classic monsters. I really like that one. My third book came 10 years later. That was I Saw What I Saw What I Saw. It. And then in 2015, I came out with the second edition of Vampire Over London for two reasons. One, the first one had sold out. And two, I wasn't happy with the first one. The first one we did before the internet, and my co-author and I, Andy Brooks, he's the co-author of that book, found so much more information on the internet than we could ever hope to find before that I just wanted to do a new one and get it right this time and, and nail down the story. And if you have a copy of the first edition and you contact me, I'll cut you a deal on getting you a second one. <laughs> but part of the deal is going to be to send back the first one so I can destroy it. Because <laughs> if I were a rich man, I'd buy them all up and destroy, destroy them and say, here, the second edition, we got it absolutely right. There's a lot lacking in the. In, I'll have to check what edition I have on my bookshelf now. Okay. <laughs> so it's been every two years. I'm, I'm going out of rate a, two, a book every year book, so that's a biannual book. But every, every time I complete a book, I say, that's it. I have nothing more to say. And then I wake up in the middle of the night and say, i got to say this to somebody. So I start another book. Is that going to happen the next time? Right now, I think not, but I'd, I've been wrong five times in a, in a row. I really hope we never get to a point where you're like, I've got nothing else to say, because I love what you do, man. Yeah, well, there's no reason that I have a monopoly on this. For those who haven't heard my talks or read my, or read my uh, Werewolf Remembers or will be reading Carl Dems' Giant Monsters, I try to step into the world of the movies, not the world of movie making, uh, when I was a kid, I was fascinated by the characters, and that transferred to Lugosi, Karloff, uh, Cheney, the usual suspects, and I studied a lot about them. But it wasn't until late in life, 
that I realized, you know, my first love was not the actors or the filmmakers. My first love was the characters in the movies. And I, I love doing that. And I gave a talk on Creature from the Black Lagoon two nights ago. And I went through a whole bunch of movies. I think I mentioned maybe two actors' names because I, I really refer to them by their character and tell about their lives. And that's, and that's what fascinates me. And I'm glad it fascinates so many people because everyone that looks at the book seems to, be, uh, seems to enjoy them. I know I was kind of teasing you a little bit about the creature from the Black Lagoon talk and the, the talk about Cleet Ferguson being a frat boy and how it, you're talking about Cleet. You're not talking about John Agar. I'm not talking about John Agar. <laughs> I'm sure he's a better human being than I am. And he appears, <laughs> he's appears in some of the favorite movies of my youth. I forgive him for breaking up with Shirley Temple. I have nothing against John Agar, Cleet Ferguson. I wouldn't want him marrying into my family. Well, I loved the talk last night. I love what you do and I love the connections that you make. And yeah. I mean, we're all fans of this stuff, so of course we're like, well, hey, that's that guy from What If He Did This, and then, but you actually take it to the next step, and you write okay. it down and share it with everybody, which is p perfect. Okay. I'm gonna, uh, D Derek, because it's you, uh -oh. and because I, uh, I listen to a lot of your podcasts, and I enjoy them all, I'll be honest, I listen to the ones with me on the most, but <laughs> just, just to try to improve my style, because when you listen to yourself, you say, God, I didn't know I, I sounded like that. I only listen to the ones with me, too. I'm going to so. give you a, a pr some preemptive news that I usually don't give. Oh, okay. okay. The next bash, 2020, uh -huh. Ron says, Ron Adams, the, the, the wonderful man who runs the bash, who's been interviewed on your show several times, mm -hmm. I think. Great guy. Wants me to give a talk on Wizard of Oz, and that's a, that's a bit of a stretch. And I told Ron, sometimes the schedule overtakes Ron. He has to change plans. I said, listen, this is going to take a lot of research. And I am not getting up in front of a bunch of people where Wizard of Oz is on all their lists of favorite movies without knowing, without having my ducks in a row. How? What? I'm trying to figure the connection. Why Wizard of Oz? Did he say? He didn't say, but hey, okay, I'll give you another preemptive thing. Uh-oh. It's got a witch. It's got a were animal. It's got an artificial man. Hey, does this sound like a Universal movie? <laughs> oh, wow. I know there are scary elements to The Wizard of Oz, and The Witch, Wicked Witch of the West, yeah. rightly, is yeah, yeah. in the pantheon of classic monsters, but I hadn't really considered that. You're right, you've got the metal man, the robot, basically. You've got, yeah. 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 I was giving a talk to a group of people about my age. I'm, I'm, I'm in my late 60s, and I put up a slide of Lugosi as Dracula, Karloff as the monster, Karloff as the mummy, Claude Ranges, The Invisible Man, the whole, the whole gamut. And I said, only one character from the 1930s really, really scared me when I saw the movie. Who do you think it was? And I thought I was being a wise guy. A chorus said, The Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> and I will say this, look, I love Lugosi, I, I love Carl, I love Janie, I love them all. They never scared me. I just, I just you know, it was like watching a, uh, you know, a, a play of a myth. I, I, often, mm -hmm. I often draw parallels between horror movies and mythology. It was like seeing a character from myth. The Wicked Witch scared the hell out of me. <laughs> and uh, and I'll, give, I'll give a lot of the credit to Margaret Hamilton. I'll give some credit to Julie Garland because her fear when she is in the castle really touches a young person. Yeah? So uh, I, I can't guarantee that. And because, because it's you, Derek. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Because there's only one Derek. There'll only be one Derek. I'll give you a preview of the book I'm working on now. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Exclusive, maybe, okay. for MKR? It's, right now it's exclusive. Okay. I base my books on characters that have appeared in multiple horror movies. Okay. So there's Lawrence Talbot. Sure. There's Carl Denham. Mm-hmm. 
My next book is called The Passion of the Mummy. Okay. And so Karis is in it a lot. Nice. But it's not going to be like the others, because obviously, unless I go back to ancient Egypt, Karis is not going to tell me his story the way Lawrence Talbot and Carl Denham did. So I have to take a different approach on that, and I'm working on it. And I always tell my wife, God's not going to let me go until I finish my book. That's the good news. The bad news is the, book, the writing is going really fast. <laughs> so, so I wonder I wonder if the big boy is preparing my bill for checkout. <laughs> well, I love that. And if you've listened to the show and listeners know, I love me a good mummy movie. So yeah. I wow, that that's got me really excited. Okay. That's very cool. Right on. How's the bash been treating you overall? The bash has been great. Uh I, uh, you know, I'm premiering a new book. A lot of people are buying it, thank God. A lot of people are say, who have had a chance to look at it are saying nice things. Uh, Friday was the best day. Friday, which is only like a half a day for me at the Bash, is the best day sales-wise I've ever had at the Bash. Me too. Yeah, and uh, I mean Saturday was a, Saturday was a good day, but Saturday is always a good day. It's a full. It's a long, exhausting day, but it's a it's a full day, and I made sales. But Friday was just unbelievable, and all the dealers are saying that. So I, I don't know why. One dealer says, I think the big money make people all come on Fridays, but most of the people that bought on Fridays I saw on Saturday. Yeah. So uh, I haven't got an explanation for it, and I'm not going to try. Hey, hey, I'll take it, man. Okay. <laughs> right on. Well, you know we got a game that we play on the show. we got oh. the Classic oh. Five game. We got- I didn't know that, and I, I'm going to fall flat on my face. No, you're ahead. not. There are no wrong answers. No wrong answers. So we've got this deck of cards here. Each one's got a, a what movie do you prefer, this or that style yeah. question. It's just kind of a fun little conversation okay, piece. Go. Card number one, who else could have or should have played Dracula, do you think? Well, Conrad, uh, we're talking about the Battle of Lugosi 1931 Dracula. Any Dracula a role yeah. he almost didn't get, by the way. Right. They, they had, he had uh, to fight for it. <laughs> they had Conrad Veidt up for the role. I think he would have been fine. Uh, John Carradine was then 25, though he always looked older than he was. He could have played it. Had Cheney lived, he could have played it. Personally, I think Lugosi was the, was the best choice. Uh, but Dracula's kind of like kind of like Hamlet. It's the interpretation. So they all would have interpreted differently. And uh, Max Schreck could have done a decent job. But I, I, you know, Lugosi's my favorite Dracula. But, you know, other people could have played a role. I'm glad they didn't. There you go. All right, card number two. What is your favorite William Castle gimmick? Favorite William Castle gimmick? Well, my favorite one, which I've never experienced, thank God, is it has to be the electric seats and tingler. <laughs> and uh, for those who don't know, supposedly at, at the premieres, this that I saw it in a neighborhood theater. They didn't do that. The seats were wired for shocks, and when the at a, at a suspenseful moment, where the moment when the tingler breaks out, I guess people got a shock through their seat. Which, when you think about it, the liabilities in today's world would be enormous. And for, <laughs> and for those who want to get a, I, you know, I haven't, I wasn't there. I was just a kid when it came out. But there's a wonderful movie called Matinee starring John Goodman where yes. he, he plays a William Castle-inspired person. And they recreate that so you maybe you'll get a taste of what it was like when those Paris people got the shock during the premiere of The Tingler in the real life. And in, in uh, the Matinee, the movie is Mant, half ant, half man, all terror. I love that film. I do, too. I love Matinee. And I came this close, this close to experiencing the tingler like that. Yeah. Because uh, a theater in Portland brought it in, mm-hmm. and they told everybody, we have the buzzers coming in. We're yeah. going to wire the theater. And yeah. at the last minute, there was a delay in the mail, and it never happened. Okay. So we never got the tinglers. We never got the buzzers. I'm sorry. It would have been amazing. Yeah, well, when you get to my age, things are tingling all the time down yeah, there. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> All right, card number three. What classic monster movie that never had a sequel should have had one? Should have had one. Well, what didn't have a sequel? There was uh, 
Island of Lost Souls, which for my money is the best horror movie of the 1930s. Close competitors all over the place. Best mo movie. It's terrifying. Yes, that movie is uh, terrifying. In my opinion, the best of the Val Luton nine from RKO is I Walked With a Zombie. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of say, well, wait a minute. Zombies on Broadway takes place in San Sebastian. has the same zombie. Oh, yeah, but that's not a sequel. That's no. kind of, let's use the same script, kind of, not the yeah. same script, the same settings and all that. So I, I think a follow-up on that. Uh, I, I, I'm sure if I had a list in front of me, I could make up more. But, but uh, those two stick out. Right on. All right. Well, card number four. What's your favorite Ray Harryhausen creation? Well, it has to be the Cyclops from... Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. No hesitation there, just right no, up. The reason there's no hesitation is you're kind of stuck, whether you like it or not, whether you admit it or not, whether you know it or not, you're kind of stuck with your first exposures to greatness. Lugosi was my first Dracula, and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I'm stuck on Lugosi. I won't even listen to debates over who's the best Superman. It's George Reeves, <laughs> right? <laughs> It stuns me when I hear Basil Rathbone is not everybody's favorite Sherlock Holmes. And when that Cyclops came out of that cave at the opening of Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, uh, it was magic. And, and, and let me say, I went to, you know, I used to go to the movies every Saturday matinee, pay my 30 cents, 35 cents sometimes, and see a movie. Didn't really know what a coming movie was. And such was the case with uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad in 1958 when I saw it. My mother gave me 50 cents to go to the movies. 30 or 35 went for the movie. Five cents went for a Coke and 10 cents went for popcorn. That tells you the world we live in. <laughs> I got to uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. didn't know a thing about the movie. And it was 50 cents to get in. It took it all. And I was ticked. And then the credits started the roll and that Bernard Herrmann score came on. Oh, that is the first movie score I remember. And even today, I don't, pay, I don't pay a lot of attention to movie scores. People say, what do you think? What do you, is that musical beautiful? I go, well, yeah, I guess it was. You know. And then I, when the credits roll, it's kind of drawn pictures of the monsters you will see. And I wasn't really noticing them until the music started. You know, you got to understand, Saturday matinees in those days were pretty rowdy. It was all, all preteen boys, you know, some were there to see a movie, some were there to, to make a... But it grabbed our attention, and then when that Cyclops, I'd never seen anything like that, so no hesitation. Harryhausen did a, a lot of fine work, and, and maybe for animation specialists, there's something that's a better job of animation, like the Hydra, which I'm, I assume was 10 times as difficult, but for me, it'll always be the Cyclops. Right on. All right. Final card, final question. Oh, no. Who else could have or should have played Frankenstein's monster? This is, we're talking about the Boar's Call off 1931. Any, any of them, yeah. Okay. I think Lon Chaney Sr. would have made a better monster than he would have made a Dracula, but... <laughs> He could have done it. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bela Lugosi was cast in the role. I'm glad he didn't get it. Uh, I, uh, well, he played it later. But, he played it yeah. later, but you know, it, it, wasn't his, it wasn't his forte. We could talk about, let's see, Lon Chaney Jr. was then 25. He and Carradine were born the same year. And if he would play the monster the way he played Lenny, he would have been great. Lenny and, uh, of Mice and Men, that was, the wow. role, that was the role that plucked Cheney out of the ranks of supporting actors and put him on the road to stardom. Let me, let me tell you a little story about Of Mice and Men. Channel 11, WPIX, used to play mostly bad movies when I was a kid. Okay. They had access to one or two that they considered classic, and one of them was Of Mice and Men. And it came on once a year, and Channel 11 always made a big deal. Channel 11 was, was kind of a corporate partner of the New York Daily News, and they'd have an ad in there tonight. Mm -hmm. My parents would never let me watch it. 
No. And uh, and I was and I never understood that because they let me watch horror movies. They let me watch some things that I look back now and I must have really tr- strained their patience. But my father didn't want to go on. My mother wouldn't let me put it on. I didn't get to see it till I was 27 in a revival theater. And I when I watched it, I I knew why they wouldn't let it. I walked out of there in tears, and I'm sure they, they so I don't need to relive that. Just like I, I think Schindler's List is a phenomenally great movie. I will never see it again. Yeah, there are some movies <laughs> like that. It tore my heart out. And uh, when Lenny dies at the end, and, I, and if you haven't seen it, see it. I, I think the, the cynists will say it's not great cinema. It tore my heart out. And so I think Cheney, if he said, lose the deadpan look you had in Ghost of Frankenstein, play it like you played Lenny, uh, I think he would have been really great in the part. I would love to have seen that. Yeah. That wow, just phenomenal. So is that the last card? That is the last card. I can't discard for a pair or whatever. <laughs> no. uh, can you tell people the uh, uh, the website address again for your website? Website is cultmoviespress all one word dot com, and uh, you can Google that. You can Google my name. I, it should come up in the, in the vagaries of Google. Who knows what's going to happen on any given day? <laughs> so cultmoviespress.com or eBay or Amazon. Okay, I'll make sure there's a link to these in the show notes over the website. Yep. Frank, I really appreciate it, man. I, I appreciate it, too. Thanks Thank for the you. exposure. Thank you. Bye-bye. I am Dracula. A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Look. Dracula. The very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare. Rats. 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 But no, this is no dream. This is Dracula, the original terrifying story of a maniac and a man who lived after death, lived on human blood, took the form of a vampire bat and lured innocent girls to a fate truly worse than death. Dracula? What's he done to you, dear? Tell me. He came to me. We let things pile up in the DVR, we add them to our queues, we wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com.
Radio presents Dr. Tongue's World of Monster Collectibles. Spanning the globe looking for monster goo so you don't have to. Dateline the Internet. Ah, oh, summer. It's finally arrived and is in full swing, so you know what that means. Time to start thinking about Halloween. If you think about it, it's only a mere three months away. That's not much time at all. Barely enough time to get your costume done before the big day. And to help you out with this dilemma, Joanne's craft stores have started putting out their Halloween merchandise already. And a friend of mine has already witnessed the coming soon banner of the ever-present spirit stores. I'm still waiting for Michael's craft stores to start putting stuff out. Probably about late July. Eh, be about my guess. Well, the newest assortments from Mego have come out, and they don't look too bad. Oh, that, that flocked werewolf is pretty laughable, though. Hot on the tails of this release is news of the new assortment set to come out by mid-August. Amid the new musical figures, leather-clad Elvis, the Catman, Space Ace, a mess of Star Trek Wrathicon figures, Gun! Sorry, couldn't help myself. There will be another horror assortment. Images have yet to be released, so no telling what they'll look like. New this time around will be Pennywise the Clown from It. Rumor has it that it's the Tim Curry version, thank God. Once again, Freddy Krueger. I guess the rumors of Mego losing that license were false. Sorry about that. And this is where it gets good. A Phantom of the Opera figure. No telling what it'll be based on, but my guess will be the literary description. There's a headless horseman with a jack-o'-lantern head. And confusingly, simply put... Egyptian mummies, plural. Only time will tell if these 8-inch figures will continue to gain in popularity or if it will wane. And will Mego be able to keep up with their blistering release schedule? Artist Spotlight! This young man has been painting monstrous images for many moons now. I was first introduced to him by a friend of mine who owned a lowbrow art gallery back in Portland in the mid-90s. If you head on over to monsterfetish.com, you will be in awe at the work that Dave Burke produces. The following is from his bio. Dave Burke is a self-taught painter who is inspired by all things pop culture from bubblegum sticker art, Dr. Seuss and giant Japanese monsters, to fetish fashion, big-eyed kinabilia, Say that five times fast. Vintage toys, tikis, and modern and hard-edged design. And around Halloween time, Dave's alter ego, The Goon, starts showing off his Sam Hain art chops with one-of-a-kind Halloween-inspired paintings. Not only does he paint on canvas, he has also done several drool-worthy art pieces on repurposed toys like Bandai Ultraman figures and old Fisher-Price toys. If you have a love of Ratfink-inspired art, with a touch of pop culture thrown in for color, then check out Dave Burke's art over on Instagram. Dave Burke Art, all one word. D-A-V-E-B-U-R-K-E-A-R-T. Or on his website, we've already mentioned. Spotlight on Vintage Monster Toys! When you say the word Mark's Toys, what comes to mind? Well, if you're a monster kid, you think of possibly the Great Garlou. The awesome battery-operated Frankenstein tin toy. Followed by wind-up King Kong, maybe? When I think of Mark's toys, I go straight to the 6-inch, tall, solid-colored plastic Universal Monster figures. 
Released in 1964, these solid plastic figures were sculpted exceptionally well. Well, most of the Marx figures were. But there was something about these that captured the essence of what monsters were to little kids everywhere. They were monsters. Done in dynamic poses, detailed faces, and had little nameplates molded right into the base of the figure. Marx did six figures in the lineup. Phantom of the Opera, The Wolfman, The Mummy, The Creature, The Frankenstein's Monster, and The Odd Duck in the Assortment, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Even stranger, not the Cheney version, but some cross between Anthony Quinn and Charles Lawton's portrayal. I remember getting a couple of these when I was a kid at the old Johnson's Five and Dime when we were living in the suburb of Portland. Lots of little bins filled with every conceivable figure a little kid could think of, and some you couldn't. Military figures from several different nations, western cowboys and Indians, weirdos and nutty mads, but my monster kid senses zeroed in on the mummy and the Frankenstein's monster. Originally sold in orange and blue, these figures have been released and re-released throughout the years in many different colors, with a glow-in-the-dark set in the early 90s making an appearance in legit toy stores. This was due to the fact that the mold still exists down in Mexico, even to this day. Yep, a lot of the Marx molds ended up in Mexico when the company went out of business in the 80s. As a matter of fact, a toy dealer here in the States as late as last year commissioned a run of the figures for resale here in the States, done in blue. Close to the original color, but off just enough to tell the difference. Due to these re-releases and the fact that they have been issued ad nauseum over the years, the prices on the collector's market are relatively inexpensive, but do expect to pay a tad more for originals in blue and orange. And one last note on these, there are noticeable differences in some of the original figures. I have noticed it mainly in the orange castings. Some have a translucent look to the figure, while others are more of a matte orange. In discussions with some fellow monster collectors, it has been surmised that this is due to the lead content used in the plastic mixture used during manufacture. This hasn't been confirmed, but it sounds good to me. And yes, folks, lead. So please don't chew on your monsters, if you can help it. And if you want to see what the Marks monsters look like, head on over to the MKR Facebook page. I've posted some pictures there. Got any sneak peeks of monster merchandise coming out soon? Drop Derek a line, and he will forward it along to me here at MKR. And hey, if you're interested, you can see what's happening at my toy shop over on Instagram at Dr. Tongue's Toys, as well as on Facebook under Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shop. Or go on over to my private account, MonsterMan64, to see some of the cool stuff I pick up for my personal monster collection. This is Mark, Dr. Tongue Peterson saying, happy monster collecting, everybody. Out! Peace! Now, for every kid who has ever seen a science fiction movie, thrilled to the amazing strength of an out-of-this-world movie monster comes Great Garlou by Marx. Garlou the Mighty. Garlou the Untamed. Garlou the Terrible. Who can stop him? Who can control this monstrous creature? You can, kids, because Great Garlou by Marx is yours to command. With these battery-operated controls, you can make Garlou go. Stop, bend, pick up, turn. Yes, Great Garlou, almost two feet tall, will be your faithful servant. You name it, you're the boss. Bring out-of-this-world excitement into your house, kids. 
own the most fantastic toy of all, Great Garlou by Marx. Buried within the uncharted depths of waters surrounding a group of islands off the 50th parallel lies man's most formidable challenge. The awesome awakening of prehistoric monsters long thought extinct. Science was baffled and powerless. A terror-stricken humanity knew that it was on the brink of total destruction. A once proud civilization now had to place its trust and hope in Godzilla and his powerful ally, Robot Man. they would fight this evil in a duel to the death. Battling by day, battling by night, it was more than a race against time. This war was an all-out effort whose ultimate purpose was to save our planet from total destruction. Now came the moment of truth. The ultimate battle. Giant against giant in the most spectacular battle yet. You'll see it all in Godzilla versus Megalon. How many cameras are on me? Holy cow, this is awesome. <laughs> it's like a real thing. It's happening here. It's Monster Bash. It's Saturday night. The dealer room is closed, and I have four scary-looking characters across from me, but I don't mind it one bit because... I mean, I'm a monster kid. It's what we do. How about we do an introduction? We'll start with you, sir. I am Count Dracula. Drac, and this is my first Monster Bash, and Derek, doggone it. Thanks for asking to do the interview. Oh, thank you for doing it. And next to me on the left... The Countess Carita. First Monster Bash yes, as well? first Monster Bash. And I know you two have been here before. Cool, us? <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm Janet Decay, Cleveland's Yummy Mummy. And uh, yeah, it's our third Monster Bash. That's right. I'm Grim Gordy, uh, Cleveland's uh, Ugly Monkey, I guess. Funky Monkey. Oh, Funky Monkey, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. So, so far, how have things gone for the bash for you guys? What, what are some of your favorite moments? It's been a great thing is that we're next to the mummy and the monkey. And Karita, you were going to say? I think meeting all of our... Members from the Drac Pack in person was amazing. And yes. That's the Facebook group you guys yes, have, right? Yes, Facebook. The official Drac fan page. For people who are, are maybe don't know, I had hosted horror movies in Cleveland back in the 1980s. And it was actually Janet who had messaged me in February and said, Hey, doggone it, Drac. Son of a gun, wouldn't you know you're on the ballot? And I said, Ballot for what? She said, A horror host Hall of Fame. And I said, Horror host Hall of Fame? What's that? She said, Always like they vote for who should go into the Hall of Fame. You're on the ballot. It was a selection of 15. I got elected. We went down to Cincinnati. They did a great induction for me, you know. And so we're back, and I owe it all to the mummy and the monkey. Yeah, it was like they opened the coffin and took the stink out of my heart. I'm back now. So you're going to get residuals off all this, stuff, yes, right? Yes, we're expecting no. to uh, check any, t- any day now. Yes. No, they're not. not getting any residuals. <laughs> I can't even spell that. <laughs> what about you guys? What, what are some of the highlights so far for you? Well, of course, seeing all of our monster friends and, and being neighbors to Jack and Karita 
Uh-huh. But um, the, the future monster kids, um, a lot of families from the past shows, uh, you know, they came back this year. Yeah, some just walked by us right now, actually, yeah. Yeah, and, and this lovely family have this sweet five-year-old little girl, and they said that the first time ever watching Night of the Living Dead was watching on uh, our Pumpkin Spice uh, 3, our third uh, Halloween, Halloween episode, special, yes. where we hosted it. Yeah, that's great. That's that is so, so cool. And it, it melted my undead heart. That's right, and my little <laughs> dark simian heart, too, yes. Wow. <laughs> what more can you ask for? And like Karita said, it's meeting all the people that we've just been really connecting with via Facebook. Uh-huh. Because that's what I was going to say before is, and I lost my train of thought, which when you're in your, you know, over 500 years old, that happens, you know. You know. But in three months, we have over 2,600 members of the Drag Pack on the official Drag fan page. I didn't name it. I would have been a little bit more humble. My biggest fan did. But I assumed it was Drac fan page. No, it meant her, because she's my biggest fan. You know? Yeah. So it's her page, and she just allows me to hang out and post things and and talk to people. But meeting, we showed up early Thursday to set up. And before, like, we had gotten set up and everything, we met a couple dozen people already who we had only known via the Internet. And it was great to have the FaceTime and meet them. And and another highlight, too, is we're shooting some video interviews here. And I got to tell you, we did some last night. Sam Irvin, the director. Sam's great. Yeah. And we also did uh, an interview with, and we did a bunch of people, but stands out were Sam so far. Veronica Carlson was beautiful. She was very sweet. Talked to Sharon Moffat, Beverly Washburn. You know, so all these videos that people are going to have a chance to see over the months to come. And it's all here. So we're having a blast. Are you going to make these videos available on the in the group or on the Drag Fan page? Okay. Yes, and okay. uh, on the Monster Channel. I was about to ask if you have anything else like the Monster Channel. So that's wonderful. That's great. Since the stick was taken out of my heart, the guys at the Monster Channel said, "Why don't you do another hosted show and put it into rotation with the other hosts?" On you're familiar with the Monster Channel. Oh, yeah. You have all those, the Bone Jangler, Halloween Jack, Slash Cooper. They're you know, all great. They are great, and they've been very good to me. As Almost as good as the Mummy and the Monkey. Okay? <laughs> and uh, so they've asked that, and I said, we're doing Monster Bash. What if we put together a Monster Bash special? So... We're recording you interviewing us right now. This just got like inception Whoa. level meta. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. This is this is going to be like in a barber shop where you have the mirrors and you can see back and back and back front, which I of course it doesn't work for me because you can't see me in the right, mirror. Right, so you're getting away yeah. with it. You're yes. fine. <laughs> which, by the way, is my hair okay? Is my tie straight? Because, like I said, I can't see. I, I think it's all right, but I mean, this is audio, so. Okay. <laughs> So you guys, you you've done hosting. You said in the '80s, and you guys have been around for a few years now, but but a different generation than what he started in, right? Yes, um, you know, Drek was on TV when I was just a wee little mummy. And, uh, okay, I'm really not making old jokes here. I'm sorry, Greg. Well, that's okay because let route. me tell you, the Countess Carita was only a month old when the show went on back in the '80s. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I win. I win. <laughs> so you guys have been. <laughs> All right. Um. <laughs> yes, we've we've been the mummy and the monkey um, for five years, okay. and uh, we've hosted our very scary hangout, our live streaming show. For by the way, I'm still wearing diapers, so. It's <laughs> And thanks for sharing. The more you know. It's all that fruit, all those bananas, man. Yes, you know, very productive, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and he's always flinging it food. Oh. Oh, 
I'm not touching that. <laughs> Sounds like a wedding night. Okay. Oh, jeez. Wow. Oh, my God. We just went way off the rails here. Anyway. Of course. Five years horror hosting. Yes, five years horror hosting. <laughs> a year and a half of our live streaming show on uh, Facebook, on the Mummy and the Monkey Facebook page. And it's a lot of fun. You know, it's interactive. It's a show that watches you back. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will make sure there's links to your Facebook activity and your Facebook group in the show notes so people can okay. find it for sure. Great. Awesome. Um, Drac, since you're back doing the horror hosting thing, what changes have you seen in horror hosting now that you're doing it again? My hairline has receded. Okay, okay. Okay, even though I can't see it in the mirror, people tell me, oh, you know, <laughs> we didn't think that was supposed to happen. The changes I've seen, well, I got to tell you what I love about people like The Mummy and the Monkey and Slash Cooper are things that are high energy, they're characters, they love their characters, and it shows in their work. I've seen a, some people who do it who are more slasher-oriented, and they'll like use distorted voices and just like ramble on in front, kind of like what I'm doing right now, Derek, you know? They'll just ramble on, you know? So I think that kind of stuff was always going on, you know, maybe not as, as overt with the slasher stuff, you know, but they were always good and bad. And the people I just mentioned, these are the good ones, you know. The Mummy and the Monkey had gotten in touch with me about two years ago because they had heard, like, through mutual friends who I was, where I was, and they had seen the show. And I wasn't aware that there was, like, a cult collecting old shows, trading them back and forth to fill in a library of all the episodes from VHS tape, and they would burn them off on disc. So they got in touch, and... I just love their energy right off the bat. And I love their look. They're stylish. Look at them. You know, she... You know, this is an audio format. They can't see what people. They, yeah, but I'm talking to you, Derek. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Sorry, sorry. You can, you can confirm Whoa. for your audience. I, That's right. Janet is wearing... Grim is tops, I'm telling you. But their energy level and that, that's, that's what you want to look for. Mm -hmm. Because you should not forget that your first job is to entertain. You know, let me entertain you and we'll all, right? So I love that. They're always good and bad. You get the cream of the crop in the mummy and the monkey. Oh, thank you, Jack. And yeah, we, when we, um, our, we had a mutual friend and he gave us your contact info and we were even nervous to call you, but right. we were like, well, maybe, hopefully, possibly he'll maybe. let us interview him. <laughs> And, uh, and it was love at first bite. It was love at first bite. And now we're best friends hanging out at the bash. That's right. <laughs> who, who, who first? Because, I mean, you're the vampire, but, you know. I didn't you bite know. anybody. It wasn't me. It was Harvey Weinstein. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you're doing the show with him now? Yes. And what's your take on this horror hosting phenomenon? It's a lot of fun. Yeah? I'm having a lot of fun. Everybody's been so great, so supportive. The group has been growing so quickly. They've been th so enthusiastic, so kind. It makes life feel fulfilling, my undead life. <laughs> let, let me tell you, Derek, what this is like for her, okay? Because she's like, oh, am I doing everything right? Is, is, are people going to like me? I said, they're going to love you. Okay, we had a guy come by last night by our table, and we have the 8 by 10s okay? And it's not like the days, we, we have a nominal charge for an 8x10, because back in the old days I could sign for anybody and the station was picking up the tab, you know? Now I'm paying for the, like, the postage, sure. the printing, everything. So this guy looked, he said, is it okay if I just take her 8x10? <laughs> and I said, 
you don't want mine? And I'm pushing it toward him. He's like, no, 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 I, I want Countess Caritas. And I said, well, let me sign, please, let me just sign one for you anyway. I, you know, you can have it. We'll do a two-for-one special. Hey, tell you, buddy, welcome to the club. Right? <laughs> and, then, and then the next thing is, today we had somebody come up who I thought, okay, this guy, good friend from our Facebook page, and he's looking at the buttons, and she had two buttons, and there's a drag button, okay? And so he takes the two Countess Carita buttons, and I said, oh, do you want the, the big three-and-a-half-inch drag button too? He said, nah. <laughs> nah, I don't think so. That's awesome. So she's taken to it like a duck to water or a bat to a belfry. Bat to a belfry. Yes. In the five years that you guys have been doing it, have you seen any changes in the horror host community or, or outlets where people can see it, that sort of thing? Well, in the past five years, the live streaming on, on many different social media platforms and other websites has evolved where it's a lot easier to do that. Um, cause, because when we first started, we were just, you know, recording everything, editing it, and then submitting it to local cable stations, some Roku stations, and we weren't really sure who was watching. So. But you know what? But still, I, even this weekend, we keep getting asked, what channel are you on? Where can yeah, we see you? It's, it's like, still the biggest asked question. What channel are you on? <laughs> so we're trying to, we're, so we're still hoping that maybe people figure out, you know, that you, can, you don't have to be mired on local television to be... Uh, you know, a celebrity or someone that's doing something that's entertainment uh, has some entertainment value right. to it. Right. That you can do it and uh, and you can and, reach the world yes. and not just like one city, right? Which we don't great, mind. And it's but great to to network in your home city. That's why be yeah, known there. That's why we say from Cleveland to the world. You yes. Know? Okay. That's kind of how it is with podcasting. So I totally understand. Totally exactly. get it. Yeah. yeah. And so you're talking about the outlets. There's Roku. They've got the Monster Channel and a handful of others. There's Facebook. There's various YouTube programs. It's all over. You don't have to look hard to find a horror host. You might have to look hard to find a good one. And you four are some of the good ones. So I'm just saying. Aww. All right. When do we, when do we what, sign the check to who? We'll do that off mic. Off mic. So I want to wrap up by playing a game with you guys. We have a game that we play on my podcast. And I think we played it with you last year. Uh, for you two, it's a game called the classic five we do it on every episode of our show i've got a deck of cards here and each one of these cards says a this or that which, which movie do you prefer question it's about classic monster movies there are no wrong answers it's just kind of a fun way to get conversation started or or wrapped up since we're gonna pull the new godzilla movie out uh you know there are no kaiju cards in this deck so you're good you're good so i'm gonna grab the first <laughs> i'm gonna grab the first card here off the top of the deck and uh just for all four of you who else could have or should have played Dracula? Oh, wow. Seriously, that's the one you pulled? That's the one I pulled. Wow. Okay, Bob, it's big. Let's do it. Well, gee, you know, uh, I have an affinity for Bela Lugosi. Sure. Uh, you know, you may not know this, Derek, but Drac first came to America in 1930, was hired by Universal to be the advisor on the making of Dracula. So that's how I ended up here. And I had taught basically Lugosi every... He never quite got the accent right. You know, but other than that, he was just impeccable. If somebody else were going to play Dracula, and I'm going to consider 1930 when it was shot, I'm not going to consider something that's pie in the sky like Lon Chaney because he was under contract at MGM, and that would have never happened despite everything you've said. And in fact, I've seen the memos from Lemley Jr. saying don't pursue him, you know, because he was under contract. 1930 Dracula. I would say Conrad Veidt. Ooh, 
That's a good one. That's right. I don't know if many people have said that when I asked this question. That's good. Conrad Veidt would have been good. And in fact, Conrad Veidt was supposed to play, he was in the running to play Dracula. And it was going to be Paul Lenny who had directed him in The Man Who Laughs in 1928. And he was already getting in the mind frame to do it. And then Paul Lenny died of a heart, massive heart attack. And Conrad Veidt started to panic because sound came in and he knew he'd have to speak English. He wasn't comfortable yet with his German to English. And so he got on a boat back to Germany and didn't come back until the rise of Hitler when he thumbed his nose at Hitler and like hitched back to Hollywood, you know. But I think Conrad Veidt would have been very good. That would have been fascinating to see. Yes. Anybody else have? Yeah, top that, yeah. guys. Yeah. Nah, nah, nah. Wow, no. Yeah. Conrad Veidt was going to be mine too, actually. Yes. Fair enough. I'm a mind reader. No, I just stole her answer. Oh, okay. 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 But why, Karita? I just love Conrad Veidt. I love everything that he did. I think he could have brought Dracula to life in in a little bit different, but equally as wonderful way. Okay. Janet? Hmm. Can I pick someone like really random, like that wouldn't really belong in a horror film? Of course. That's what I'm thinking too. I was thinking something silly like Sylvester Stallone. Because why not, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> a Rambo track. Or what about Christopher Walken? Oh. Well, the children of the night. <laughs> what beautiful music they make. <laughs> now, that's a better answer. Why not? Uh, hey, look, I'm, I'm thinking with me only like, you know, three uh, you know, boxes, you know. Uh, yeah, sure. It reminds me of the broken battlements my own castle in Twisted. Oh, hey, no. Oh. Yo, Mina! Mina! Mina. <laughs> or any bail in a row. You know, home, I am no home. No, okay. Are you sorry, I, Derek, you asked us to do I'm this? I'm not sorry. Oh, I'm that could be Rambo speak. The jungle is my home. Oh, oh could Rocky there you beat go. Rambo? What? Could Rocky beat Rambo? Bradley would love to see it. Remember, Rambo, Rambo could hide in the mud and come out with that big David Bowie knife and like. David him. Bowie knife. <laughs> David Bowie knife. Yeah. Okay. You don't want to mess with that. <laughs> All right, I'm going to pull out a second card. Question number oh, two. More cards. I'm going to start with you. If you could swap places with any character from a classic monster movie, who would it be? Oh, my. That's very difficult. I would have to stick with Dracula and say Mina. Okay. Okay. Oh, am I next? You are next. Oh, okay. I think I'm going to stick with with my mummy character and say the mummy, but not the really bad mummy movie that came out a few years ago. With Tom Cruise? That was awesome. It'd be cool to see, like, a mummy movie that's a lady that isn't a Tom Cruise. Like like, Beyonce as the mummy. No, no. (laughs) All the single mummies? All the single mummies? No? You know, it'd be great if Universal could just make a new good movie. A black and white movie. I do it all in black and white without any computer stuff. You have no idea how much I'd love for that. How easy would that be? They're calling it the dark universe or the dark whatever. Yeah, so just film it all in black and white. Get crazy, Universal. They won't do it. And no Tom Cruise. And no Tom Cruise. So so a good mummy movie for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Where the mummy doesn't turn out to be Tom Cruise. Yeah. In the end. I, I wouldn't want to be Tom Cruise. Speak for yourself. Well, yeah. Grim, what about you? <laughs> um, maybe Runfield, because you got to eat so many good dead bugs and everything. I'm into that right now, baby. Okay. I can go for a good, fat, juicy cockroach right about now. <laughs> Drac? I'll tell you who it wouldn't be, okay? Because it wouldn't be Frankenstein, because fire, bad. <laughs> and I've always had this phobia about quicksand. You know, and all the ways that like would be really bad to go... The Frankenstein monster got him. I think it would still be Dracula, 
and I think it would be because no matter what happens to him, they can pull like the stake out of his heart. He comes back to life. You know, you can uh, drop some blood on his ashes. They come back again. Okay. Mm-hmm. And most monster kids, since this is Monster Kid Radio, most monster kids know Dracula as an adult. He dresses cool. He gets all the babes. Okay. <laughs> which this is life imitating art. And on top of that, Keanu Reeves coming to your house. His parents, yeah. Hey, Dracula, oh. dude. Hey. <laughs> Whoa. No. Well, yeah, he's a nice guy, though. His parents never tell him, turn that doggone TV off and go to bed. He can stay up all night if he wants to. <laughs> right? Okay. So it's a monster kid dream. There, okay. Yeah. And we, we go. think about it, go back to like, well, I won't give a year because you guys are all younger than me. So I was going to say 1963. <laughs> Think about it. Nobody telling you to turn the TV off at, at like, 9 o'clock. That was a big thing back then, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, card number three. Janet, what's your favorite John Agar monster movie? Well, that's a good one. They're all good. Yeah, I mean, it's, Jan- <laughs> it's John Agar. We've watched a lot of them together. Which one do you think? Well, the one they're showing tonight a- at Monster Bash. You could say that one. Ooh. Creature, the Revenge of the Creature. Oh, they're playing that tonight. Yes. See, I didn't know. Yeah, they're doing Revenge of the Creature outside. So John yeah, Agar was in I, that. I do, I do love Creature from the Black Lagoon, so I would probably have to say Revenge of the Creature. There you yeah. go. Me too. Okay, Revenge for you too. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. In 3D. In 3D. Universal <laughs> masters the Blu-ray right, so it's right. actually in 3D. Right. Yeah. And it also has that hack in there. What's his name? Clint Eastwood. That guy. Yeah. Oh. He never mounted <laughs> it. Not that guy. It's his last, first and last movie. Karina. <laughs> Yes, I agreed with the other three. Creature from the Black Lagoon. All Revenge of the Creature Creature. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. And Rico Browning, he did the creature in all three films. He's here at Monster Bash. We talked to him this morning, got an interview. Oh, he's great. The Monster Channel. Yes. Yes. All right, we're in the home stretch card for who else could have or should have played a mad scientist, starting with Grimm. Ooh, could have or would have would played have on the We already used Sylvester Stallone. We already <laughs> used... You can pick Sylvester Stallone again. We got Christopher Walken done. Walken would also make a Homer fight. Simpson. Homer Simpson? Oh, he's not really bright enough to be a man oh, scientist. That's right, Marge, but make here I got that brain on there. What does that say? You it know, says, Abby Normal. Oh, stupid brain. <laughs> Marge. You know, we have another horror host friend by the name of Dr. Bob Tesla, and he's, oh. he's a mad scientist. Ooh, that's interesting to bring so up a horror host. I think it'd be host. cool if he okay. a mad scientist in a movie. Dr. Okay. Bob Tesla would yeah. make a good mad scientist. Sounds good. So I'll go with that. Breck? Well, you know, if you're thinking about somebody that would play a, a mad scientist and could be given to being kind of off their rocker and high-strung... I should maybe Walter Brennan. All right, Fritz, get those kites up. Come on. So it would be multi-academy award winning Walter Brennan, doggone it. Okay. Charlie Chaplin. Oh, yes. If you notice, in especially the modern, uh, like Law and Order would be a good example. A lot of the best serial killers, mad, you know, crazy people, are the comedians. So interesting answer. I like that. Yeah, that's a good one. That was the best answer of the group on that round. And there's typically no winners with this game, but I think you just won, guys. That's why I love her. (laughs) I want to wrap this up with our final card, the classic five, the fifth card, going back to Drac. Who do you prefer? Colin Clive or Peter Cushing? Well, you know, I'm a big fan of all those Universal pictures, but I've always thought Clive was a little bit wooden. Sorry, you know. And I know a lot of that in Bride of Frankenstein, he was in the best of the, the 
old classic universals. I think it's pretty much universally accepted. Bride of Frankenstein was the best film, you know. I think Bela gave the best performance in Dracula, but overall, best film that. But I got to tell you, as an actor, the one that I really felt sympathy for and was a sympathetic character, which I was talking to Veronica Carlson about when we interviewed her, mm -hmm. is Peter Cushing. And I think Cushing was just a brilliant actor, stage trained, and I think as a, you appreciate him more as an adult because he was so underplaying a lot of things instead of taking it over the top, you know, and more restrained. And plus, is he really gone? He could still play him because he was just in Rogue One a couple of years ago. This is you true. Know? He, he reprised his role as the Grand Moff Tarkin. I was with somebody when I saw Rogue One who is very sophisticated, PhD in the theater, had spent 49 years in the faculty of a Midwest university teaching theater, and we were seeing the movie, and he leaned over to me and he said, Drac? And I said, yeah. He said, when Peter Cushing was on screen, he said, wasn't he in the first Star Wars film? I said, yeah, back in 1977. He said, damn, he looks good. What about you, Countess? I love Peter Cushing, but I think I have to stick with Colin Clive. Uh-oh. <laughs> you guys can duke it out later. <laughs> Janet and Grimm. I think I agree with Drac. I'm going to say Peter Cushing. Yes, I'm a big fan of uh, padded underwear myself, so Peter Cushing would be my favorite. Grimm, think, I think you're a little think about confused. It. <laughs> think about it. Grimm, what? I think you're a little confused. So are we pushing for the cushion? Okay. <laughs> We're pushing for cushion. Okay. And we're about to go off the rails again, so I'm going to try to take control here, and I want to say thank you to everybody for doing this. I know it's a crazy weekend for everybody here at the Monster Bash, so that you four were able to spend some time with me means the world to me. Congratulations on your Hall of Fame entry. Oh, thank you, Derek. That was amazing. I'm glad you brought that up because I never mentioned it myself. I'm too modest. Yeah, I, I get that impression. Yes, thank you. I saw the acceptance video. Very, very cool. <laughs> What'd you think? I thought it was great. Oh, I was nervous. If I'd known you seen it, I wouldn't have stolen the Harvey Weinstein line at the beginning of the show. Well, thank you for having us. You know, we love the bash. We love our monster friends here. Can I get a picture with the four of you before I'll let you go? Of course. Yes. You have to talk to my personal handler. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Off the rails as we go out. Okay, it's not that kind of picture I want. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> That's not the kind I was offering. <laughs> this, you've got to see. The monsters at Marineland. Yes, that riotous family of goofy ghouls invites you to join them on an unforgettable visit to the famous marine land of the Pacific. You can help the Munsters pick out a pet for Eddie. Of course, Herman, Grandpa, and Lily insist on something lovable, like a shark a barracuda, or an octopus. See all the wonders of this fabulous oceanarium and watch the Munsters have a whale of a good time at Marineland Carnival. The new Christy Minstrels will be there too Easter Sunday, April 18th on most of these CBS television network stations. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming along and allowing me to relive what happened last month. Man, Monster Bash is just it. I love it. And I know I'm not the only one who loves it. In fact, recently, two of the podcasts that I listened to also covered Monster Bash. The Classic Horrors Club podcast and the Time Shifters podcast. 
Now, I did run the promos for these podcasts earlier in this episode, but I'll make sure there are links in the show notes so you can just hop over to our website and click through and find these other shows. Now, our website address is monsterkidradio.net. And not only will you find links to the Time Shifters podcast and the Classic Horrors Club podcast, you're also going to find links to everything that we talked about in this episode. The Facebook group for Drac, you're going to find it there. The Mummy and the Monkey stuff online, you're going to find it as well. You're going to find links to Frank Delostrito's book, just everything that we've got going on in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. You're going to find it at our website. Again, that's monsterkidradio.net. You know what else is over there? Our contact information. You can shoot me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can call in and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. If you go back and listen to last week's episode, you'll hear a voicemail that was sent in by Papa Bear. Well, Papa Bear is one of the guys that was taking pictures while I was interviewing those four horror hosts. And the picture that I used as a cover art for this episode, well... It was his picture. So big thanks again to Papa Bear for letting us use his photography here at Monster Kid Radio. Also on our website, you'll find links to our Twitter, our Facebook page, and our Facebook group, as well as our Patreon page. Everything that we've got going on Monster Kid Radio-wise, you're going to find it there, including a link to the 2009 Monster Rally Retro Awards ballot. July 11th, that's the day this episode's going out, is the last day that you can fill out your ballot to help us figure out who the best actor, actress, director, monster, and movie of 1935, 45, and 55 were. If you go back a few episodes, you'll find in the archives that Stephen D. Sullivan and I sat down and announced the ballot here on the show, or you can just go again to tinyurl.com slash rallies2019 and read the ballot for yourself. And Fill it in while you're there. Steve and I will be getting together in the near future to announce the winners of this year's rallies. I love the rallies. It's something that I really look forward to every year, and I'm excited to see how this year's rallies turn out. And stay tuned, because next week we'll be announcing a new form for you to fill out on our website. It's about our website and our podcast. I'm reintroducing the Monster Kid Radio listener poll. I want to make sure the show is doing everything that you want it to do. I want to bring you what you want. Because, well, I love doing this. You've given me so much over the years doing the podcast. I want to give back. I want to make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck. And I, I know you're not paying for the podcast, but I mean, you're still committing to the show. You're giving me your time and hopefully your reviews on iTunes and any other podcast directory and just kind of spreading the word and retweeting tweets and sharing Facebook posts and just letting people know about how much fun we're having here at Monster Kid Radio. Now, one thing that I do want to ask you right now, though. I've got more Monster Bash coverage. I've got at least one, if not two more episodes of Monster Bash related content. And that's just from me sitting at my table asking people to join me for a quick chat or an interview. This doesn't count all the audio that I've had sent to me by people like Mike Ramsey, who was in the big room for all the big Q&As and all the big presentations, videotaping and recording all that was going on. In fact, the audio that you're going to hear at the end of the show, the Q&A with Mr. Browning, well, that was taken from what Mike Ramsey captured at Monster Bash. Mike Ramsey's a heck of a guy. He's somebody who loves his classic monster movie music. Uh, he's written into the show before, so you might remember his feedback from previous episodes. He's also a writer. He's written for Scary Monsters Magazine. And what we're playing this week, it's just the tip of the iceberg, ladies and gentlemen, so stay tuned. But anyway, I'm getting off track. Bottom line is, I want to hear from you. Do you want me to keep doing the Monster Bash stuff, or should I space it out, spread it out a little bit more, and kind of get back to uh, what passes for normal here at Monster Kid Radio? Let me know.
Once again, big thanks to everybody who participated in this episode of Monficute Radio. Professor Frenzy, of course, and Dr. Tong, and then Larry Underwood, Mark Holmes, Frank Delistrito, The Mummy and the Monkey, Drag and Countess Carita. You guys and gals helped make this episode as awesome as I think it turned out. So, thank you. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. We're going to talk to everybody next week where we've got, well, we'll find out based on what you tell me about whether or not you want to hear more Monster Batch coverage. Talk to everybody next week. My name is Derek M. Cook. Ciao. show. As a matter of fact, at my age, I'm glad to be anywhere. <laughs> I found out that when we do these kind of interviews, if you ask the questions, I'll answer them, because if I just talk, I might be talking about things you're not even interested in. <laughs> but if you have any questions about the creature, Tom Weaver, the gentleman sitting next to me, Mr. Tom Wink <laughs> knows more about the creature than I do. So anything I don't know, he I'll knows. make up. I'll make up. So anyway, uh, here we go. Well, actually, if you don't mind, when I extensively interviewed you for the creature book, I love the creature movie. I love your stories about it. But the stories you told about being a Florida kid and going to Wakulla Springs as a youth, to me, were some of the sweetest and most interesting stories in the book. Could you just, would you mind just talking for two minutes or whatever and paint a little bit of a picture of what it was like to be a kid in Florida visiting the Springs and what they were like then? Um, I started working at Wakulla Springs when I was in high school. I was a lifeguard and uh, they had glass bottom boat rides and the guys would, <clears throat> in those days, roll. They didn't have engines. Now they have uh, electric engines they run the boats with. But they would roll by hand, and uh, they would go over the spring. And when they'd get out over the springs, the guy that's rowing the boat, he'd say, I'll get one of these divers to come out and swim down and entertain you. So we'd dive in the water swim under the boat, and then swim down to the bottom. And it was quite deep, it was about 60, 65 feet deep. And we'd swim down to the bottom, looked like we were doing something crazy, come back up, and the boatmen would throw money on top of the glass bottom boat to get the audience to throw money. So they'd all throw money on the glass. Well, after the show was all over and the day was ended, we would go down to the boat docks and the boat drivers would spit the money with us. <laughs> so we made a few bucks. And I'm sure everybody here knows, you left out the detail, but I'm sure everybody here knows that the water of Wakulla Spring is so clear. He and the other diver could dive in and go to the bottom and the people are just watching like, there's, like they can see as clear as day what these guys were doing 60 feet down. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then your first jobs at Wakulla Spring? Uh, 
No, my first job, I went to, I, I worked, I worked at an ice plant and I checked in the drivers and I went to school at Florida State University and uh, I had some children and I'm married and my daughter is sitting next to me and any questions you got about my family life, she knows more about it than I do. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I went to school there and uh, enjoyed it. And the, the manager of Wakala Springs called me on the phone and he said, I've got some people from California coming to Florida to look at the springs for a location for a movie. And uh, I can't be here, so would you pick them up, take them to the springs, and show them around for me? I said, sure, so I did. And while we were at the springs, the cameraman shot footage of the river and the, uh, it's a beautiful place, it looks like the Amazon. And he shot underwater shots. And he said to me, he said, would you mind swimming in front of the camera so I can get an idea of what a human being looks like to the fish and the logs and the grass and alligators or whatever. And I said, sure, so I did. And I took them back to the airport and they left. About a week after that, I got a call from the manager of the hotel. He said, Rico, they're trying to reach you. I said, who? He said, the people that were here uh, making, wanting to make a movie, they want to talk to you. So I got a call from Jack Arnold, turned out to be the director of the film. He said, Rico, we like the way you swim. How would you like to be an underwater monster? <laughs> I said, why not? <laughs> so I went to California and they started building the suit. But the, the outfit that they built first was awful. It looked more like a lizard. And we shot some test footage in the tank on the back lot at Universal Studios with uh, Judy Adams. And she had on a white bathing suit. And I had my eel costume on. And they shot the footage. And the next day they had dailies. And everybody watched it and they thought I looked horrible. And they thought Judy looked beautiful. <laughs> but anyway, then they started building the second suit. And uh, they made a leotard. And I wore the leotard. And Jack Kevan and Chris Mueller who was borrowed from Disney Studios were building the suit and they were going to glue the pieces of the suit onto the leotard. And so the first piece they were going to put on was my chest plate. And so they put glue on the leotard, put the chest plate on my chest, and then they started putting glue on other pieces to put on the leotard. Well, while I was standing there, it was getting hot. The glue was setting up, and it was getting hot on my chest. I said to Jack Evan, I said, Jack, this, this is getting hot. He said, well, it'll, it'll be all right. It's going to set up in a few minutes. But pretty soon, it started burning. So I said, Jack, this thing is burning. you got to get it off. And so they tore it off. And sure enough, I had a blister about the size of the end of your little finger on my chest. I still have scar from it. But anyway, they then built a cast of my body, 
put the leotard on the cast and put the pieces and glued them together on the uh, uh, plaster. And they took about a month to build the suit, the second suit, and everybody liked it and accepted it. And we packed it in a box, went to Wakala Springs, and began filming. And we filmed for about, I'd say for about a month, uh, to get the footage for the uh, first underwater creature movie. Any questions? Ooh, over there. While you were swimming in the suit, was it very heavy or was it buoyant? Did you have any difficulty? Was the suit heavy? Well, it, it varied. The reason being, the suit was made of sponge rubber and latex. So it was like an overgrown wetsuit. And it was very light in the sense that it wasn't full of water <laughs> and uh, I could just walk around easy. But when you got in the water, you couldn't sink. So I had to wear lead. I had lead around my ankles, lead on my thigh pads, and lead on my chest so that I would be able to sink underwater. And then when I'd go down in the water, I could sink and it was neutrally buoyant and it worked out very well. But when I came out of the water, it was pretty heavy because I had the lead on, the suit absorbed water and it was full of water. So I weighed quite a bit when I came out. And uh, they would take the head off. And by the way, we shot in the wintertime. And the water temperature at Wakala is about 71 degrees. But the air temperature at that time of the year where we shot was 49 degrees. So it was pretty chilly. And I'd come out of the water, they would to rehearse for the next scene, they would take the head off and the hands off, and I would sit there and wait till we talked about doing the next shot. Well, the crew felt sorry for me, and one member would come up and said, how would you like a little shot of brandy? And I said, sure. And the other crew didn't know that that crew member gave me a shot so after five or six shots of bread, they had a drunk teacher swimming. So they had to cut that out. I noticed that in Preacher, which you shot at Wakulla, the water was kind of dark, but in Preacher Walks Among Us, also at Wakulla, absolutely beautiful. What was, what, what was the difference in two years in the watercolor? Well, the water at Wakulla changes uh, because of the rain. When I get heavy rains going through the woods, it would flow into the, into the spring and it would darken the water. And uh, until the rains quit, the water wouldn't clear up. But then the water cleared back up again. <clears throat> but we shot, it was pretty clear, so. In other words, how long can you keep your breath under uh, How long could I hold my breath? Without oxygen. Uh, I use an air hose, and I breathe from it. Um, well, I'll start from the beginning. Uh, I had to breathe, and we couldn't use a, a tank because it would bulge out the back of the suit too much. So I used an air hose, and I breathe from it. And it's kind of like if 
you're in your backyard and you, you're, you've got a hose running and you want to drink the water, you drink out of the end of the hose. Well, you drink what you want, you let the rest just spill out. Or reading from an air hose is the same. You breathe what air you want, you let the rest just spill out. And uh, I had four safety people. They all had air hoses. And I would get a signal from the cameraman to begin the scene, and I would start the scene, whatever it was. And when I would finish doing it, or I did as much as I could, I had a signal with the uh, air hose buddies that if I went totally limp, that meant I needed air. So when I just went limp and didn't move, they would come in and give me another air hose. And it worked out very well, and we didn't have any accidents. And during the day shooting, what was like, what was the length, how many hours did you have to work on a typical day? We shot all day long. Uh, I'd say like from nine o'clock in the morning until about four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And we had a big barge that we worked off of and we rehearsed everything on the barge and we would uh, then go in the water and, and do the scene. They had a director who I got to know very well in later years. He was sent down to direct the second unit and a very nice man, but the only one problem he had was he couldn't swim. And so he got in an inner tube and had a face mask on, and he would go walk, swim around with his feet and look down, and that's how he directed the film. <laughs> well, he didn't direct very much because we didn't stay under it very long. Scotty Welber, the cameraman, probably did more directing than and the director, and he did a very good job. Did they have any camera leaks while you were there? Yes, the camera. <clears throat> Scotty Bilber built a housing over two cameras side by side, and that was sh shooting it in 3D. And they think, I, I think it, they flooded it at least twice. But they had good camera mechanics and they would fix those cameras overnight, and we were able to shoot the next day. Watch the movie, and you get the impression that the Black Lagoon is this really prehistoric place. I got it in my head as a kid that wherever they shot this, must the whole area must be as prehistoric <laughs> as the Black Lagoon looks. But Wakulla Springs has docks and a big hotel near right. How, far, how close was the hotel to the edge of the spring? The, the hotel at Wakulla Springs is still the same as it always was. They have no TV. Um, they have a, a t right now they have a TV in the lobby. But, but prior to that, they had no TV, no radio, nothing. You just go stay there and, uh, and they serve you food. And that was all. And that was the hotel where you stayed? And you go down to the springs, get in a boat, and, uh, take a ride and come back and stay overnight at the Springs. The gentleman who owned the Springs, Ed Ball, he also owned Florida East Coast Railway at that time. And he was a very wealthy man, very nice man. He was thrilled to death for us to have the preacher movie made there. 
and he would come down and watch his chute uh, standing on a diving tower looking out over the springs. Uh, a lot of fun. Um, what were the creature's eyes made of, and what kind of problems did you have with visibility in the suit? Visibility? He wants to know about the eyes. The visibility was probably the worst thing in using the suit. The, the reason being, when we were testing the suit, I put a face mask on, and it would protrude out too far and push the nose out way out too far. So we didn't use the face mask. We tried goggles, but when the goggles filled with water, I had no way to get rid of the water. So I went with the naked eye, looking through uh, like a keyhole, because uh, the eye of the suit sat about a half an inch from my eye. And underwater, you know, as you know, if you ever swam underwater, you open your eyes, everything's blurred. So it was blurred vision looking through a keyhole. So it was very difficult to, uh, to uh, see what I was doing. As an example, if I were looking at you uh, underwater with a suit on, I could tell you were a human being, but I wouldn't know who you were. And uh, I have to give you hand signals very broadly. In other words, the cameraman would wave his arm like this instead of just his hand to give me a signal to begin the scene. Uh, how old were you when you were doing this? I was 24. I'm a young man now. <laughs> 89. Questions? Oh, there's one. Yeah. Hi, good morning, Rico. So uh, I have to ask you, who is your favorite monster? No. Well, I, I do have a favorite, uh, the Wolfman. Right. Ron Chaney Jr., the first uh, Wolfman. I thought, I thought he was great in it, and I thought the movie was done very well, and I loved it. Did you have any idea that these films would be iconic decades later? No. Not at all. Um, as a matter of fact, when we shot the uh, Creature movie and it was released, I think it was shown in the theaters for about two weeks and then it was not shown anymore. Well, I went to see it. I had to pay to see it. <laughs> I went to a, a little theater in Ocala, Florida and uh, uh, paid to see it and I enjoyed it. I thought we did a pretty good job. <laughs> well, then that was the end of it. And uh, 20 years passes. And I get a few letters that people wanted some autographed pictures. Well, I didn't have any pictures. But then one person sent me a picture. And I had it duplicated. So I did have one picture. And I started sending pictures to fans, this one picture. And over a period of years since then, I probably got about 300 pictures. We don't have room enough on the table to put them all. But uh, we have a lot of pictures now, and uh, we enjoy signing them and, 
enjoy the audience being there, and we enjoy the money too. <laughs> Can I ask a two-part question over here? Uh, why were there different actors used for the land scenes? And the other question is, there's a new book called The Lady from the Black Lagoon about a woman who helped design the suit. Can you tell us more about that? We shot the creature movie. They needed an underwater, they needed a monster. And they hired uh, Ben Chapman, who was a, uh, I believe he was a dancer. And he was six foot four or six foot five. And they hired him to play the part of the creature from the Black Lagoon. But he couldn't do the swimming. So they had to hire a different person to do the swimming. And that's how I wound up getting the job. But anyway, Ben, a very nice guy, uh, they made my suit first, and uh, then I left Universal and, and came home, and we shot at Wakulla. Well, then they made Ben's suit, and they finished his suit, and they shot in California. And I had never met Ben. Well, 20 years later, I met Ben, and we shook hands and said hello. And he was always mad at me because sometimes I would sign pictures of the creature walking on land. <laughs> and he said, that's me, that's not me. <laughs> I said, I tell you what, Ben, any pictures I got of me underwater, you can sign it. <laughs> and I won't get mad. And then his second question was a lady named Millicent Patrick is the subject of a new book because she claimed that she was the designer of the creature suit. Do you remember her at all? Yeah. Millicent Patrick, she, she was a woman that worked at Universal. I assume she worked for Universal. Well, he was in the makeup lab one day, and uh, this woman comes in, and she comes over and looks at me, and she looks at the suit that they're building, and she left. That's all I saw of her. And then after they finished the suit, we were going to shoot test footage in a tank on the back lot at Universal Studios, and I was standing on the tank, getting ready to go on the water, and I looked down, because I couldn't see very well, and here's this woman painting with a paintbrush on my chest. And I said, what are you doing? She says, I'm touching up the suit. I said, well, you better touch it up with some waterproof paint, and I'm going in the water in about a minute. And she left. That's the last I ever saw her. Uh, Jack Kevan, makeup artist that worked at Universal, and Chris Mueller, who was borrowed from uh, Disney Studios, they actually designed and built the suit. But Westmore got credit for all of the work. The reason being, in those days, the only person that could get credit was the head of the department. And Bud Westmore was the head of the makeup department at Universal Studio. Which of the question is, which of the three movies is uh, your favorite? The first one was. And the main reason was we, we spent more time filming it, and uh, it had more meat in the script. And the second one was a lot of fun. And it was shot at St. Augustine and Marineland Studios. 
but it was it was actually harder work because we were swimming in a tank and I had a chain wrapped around my legs and all kind of weird stuff. But uh, but I think the first one was the, the best one. Maybe you could mention in the first movie the creature looks terrific, but in the second movie he has a continuous stream of bubbles coming out of the top of his head. Why didn't that happen in the first movie? Uh, well, probably for two reasons. The suit in the first movie was built to fit me. Well, uh, getting back to the second movie, I got a call from Jack Arnold, the director, and he said, Rico, he said, uh, we need you to work on another creature movie. He said, are you available? I said, sure, I'm available. I said, you want me to come to California and have a suit made? He said, no. He said, we're filming. We're in St. Augustine, Florida, and we're filming at Marineland Studios. And they hired a guy, and he can't do it. So we need you. I said, well, I don't have a suit. They said, well, we'll cut his suit down to fit you. I said, well, okay. So I went down to Greenland, and they spent about three days cutting the suit apart and gluing it back together to make it fit me. And the head, as he was just talking about, was a little looser than the head that I had in the first film. So when I breathed from the air hose, the air would go up into the head and water had, the air had only one place to go, right out the top. And it looked like a stream of bubbles coming out of the top of my head. So I had a signal with the cameraman that when we're ready to go, he would give me a signal. I would press down on the head as hard as I could to force all the air out and uh, so it wouldn't have any bubbles. But I never succeeded completely. In a lot of the film, you just see bubbles coming out. In the last scene of Creature, as you see the lifeless creature floating down toward the camera, was that you? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I, they, they shot the scene where I swam over the cliff and out over the, the drop-off, and then I just started sinking. And then they would cut, and they'd take a dummy and uh, get a closer angle, and they let it go all the way down to the bottom. Mm -hmm. So I just went part, part way down, and the dummy did the rest. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, I was a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we want to thank Rico Browning for being the Oscar ever to be on the convention circuit. And I, yes, I even mean that about Tom Weaver. <laughs> but thank you again so much for being here. Rico will be out of his, at his table if you want to talk to him more and pick up an autograph. Thank you, Rico Browning. Rico, Rico is the last of the universal movie monsters from the classic days. Frankenstein, Dracula, the creature, he is the last. He likes money. Let's all go out there right now. <laughs> Thank you very much. I want to thank Tom.
because he's been my old buddy and bodyguard for years. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.